Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 90, wherein we follow up our final episode of answering your questions with an episode where we answer your questions. Yes, like the proverbial killer from an 80s slasher film, this segment refuses to stay dead as Graham McMillan uncovers the questions from Twitter we had yet to answer until now. Topics include buying secondhand comics as opposed to torrenting, supporting Marvel, Skull the Slayer, favorite and least favorite runs by Steve Englehart, Batman Earth One by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, a spoiler-filled discussion of Batman Issue 10, The War of the Robins, subplots in the New 52, Spider-Man Number 1, Dracula World Order, Forgotten and Overlooked Comic Creators, Our Guilty Pleasures, Andy Warhol's Robocop, The Orientation of Digital Comics, Batman Legend of the Dark Knight, the draw of new teams on different titles, and just as the title credits are about to roll and you think it's over, much, much more. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Oh my god, that's the greatest new pick ever, Jeff. (laughs) Holy crap, listeners. So, everyone who gets this podcast through savagecritic.com has already seen the old photograph of Jeff looking very happy as he skypes that's now been replaced by basically if you could imagine Jeff as an old school radio broadcaster with a massive microphone in front of him but possessed by a rock god so seriously <laughs> screaming or about to eat the microphone that's what it looks like it's amazing and Jeff, I'm going to take a photograph of this one <laughs> up as well because really holy shit well, thank you amazing pick <laughs> hello hello <laughs> i'm glad you approve of the pick yeah it was something where i think uh i was so f- crazed and frustrated in the process of trying to extract the pick that you had sent me last time uh that i took a new one uh reflecting my current happy state so yeah but who knows maybe this is the the future of wait what merch for us, uh, Just photographs of you recording? No, I would like <laughs> photographs of you recording too. And then we could, you know, we could match them up or something. I, like I, a little freebie, you know. <laughs> what, if we start a Kickstarter, that could be like, pledge a dollar. And we'll, say, <laughs> we'll send you our user picks. No, no, I was thinking, well, here's the thing. I was thinking, and this probably wouldn't work at all, but um, you know how uh, Ruben Bowling, uh, Tom the Dancing Bug, had uh, recently basically um, had a had a, a essentially a readers club where it's like people pledged uh, a certain amount of money. I don't remember if it was per month or it, over the course of a year. And in return, they got you know the 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 strips mailed to them, bonus content, et cetera, et cetera. You know that kind of deal. So I was thinking kind of something like that, like you know. If we had people who were willing to actually support us, if we were able to switch to some sort of model, like what kind of regular incentives could we offer them apart from, say, getting the podcast 24 hours early? Graham, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Did you send a message? Did you send that that attachment? Yes, I've sent you. I've sent you a picture that I just took right now. So that really? you could be happy, yeah. Ooh, ooh, okay, let me jump over. Uh, but I was listening. Uh, I, it's an interesting idea. I'm not, I, I think we should open this one up to the listeners. Would you guys pay for that sort of thing? Like, if there was some sort of additional content that we could share? Yes. Would, would, would people be interested, or is part of the fun that it is just, like, two people talking comics for an hour and a half every week? Right. 
Right. But, you know, exactly. Yeah, definitely let us I, know. I, I'm really curious. I, I, I'd be very interested to see what, what people think. Okay. I'm going to see about this photo thing. Let me. It's still in progress. Yeah, last time it spent so forever transferring this file that I was never quite able. You know to... what I do? I've just cancelled it and I'm going to shrink the file down to send it to you. Or you could send it to me oh, by no, email. Have, uh, yes, do that, and I will check my my Huber Bloob, as they as the cool kids call it. <laughs> You're what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think some people call it an iPad currently because. This, did you uh, say, what did you actually call it? The Huber Bloob? I, I think that's actually from uh, Doctor Who, isn't it? The Huber Bloob Highway? Uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Seuss. Wow. I, I don't know, but that is a great Freudian slip right there, my friend. Isn't it? I do think that there's something to be said for, for making Doctor Seuss one of the, uh, the the lost race of doctors would be kind of, kind of delightful. So... Um, uh, yes. Ooh. Okay. So here's the picture. Anyway, last time I'm trying to alternate various things about microphone placement and, uh, our last podcast, I think I sound a little distant and yelly cause I put it on a distant, you know, on a table and it was able to pick me up fine volume wise, mm-hmm. but it was weird. You actually sounded like you were in the room and I was calling, you know what I mean? It was very, yeah. so I decided to, Oh my God, that photo is great. <laughs> That is the best. This is going to be really frustrating for everyone listening, especially if we don't put these pictures up because oh, I know. two times now we've not been able to say what we were going to say because of the photograph. This is fantastic. Uh, I actually get to see the headphone. Yeah, you, you know. get to see the whole thing. You get to see me in the t-shirt because I was wearing, I was going to say I was wearing more than the t-shirt, which implies I'm only wearing the t-shirt now, which is not the case. Okay. I was wearing a cardigan before, uh, but oh, it's okay. a beautifully warm day now. Yeah, it looks very, it looks very bright out behind you. Uh, you know, it's funny because we, you and I haven't seen each other for a while. Um, a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, it is, it is apparent that all of your working outs and things, you look. I think, I believe you have uh, lost weight and gotten more slender, and it's not like you were, you know a roundish man in the face or anything, but I'm like, good Lord, Graham. <laughs> so that was, that is a delightful surprise. Uh, it's great. You also look like I would love to Photoshop a chainsaw into your hand. That... <laughs> well, you do know that if you put this on Savage Critic, uh, Adam Nave will probably do it by the time that I'm Completely, yeah. yeah. Sad, but true. Uh, uh, yes. Hi, Adam. Uh, so... So here we are, listeners. Uh, as you can see, this is what happens when we have no questions. Uh, at, no, at... we have questions because this has turned out. Oh, when shit. I, right. When I was like, we've done the questions. <laughs> I've done the questions because there were extra Twitter ones yes. that I then thought we'd lost because uh, Twitter basically deletes your tweets after two weeks. Yes. Um, and then someone pointed out that I'd emailed them to you and you emailed them back to me. We actually have like five more questions. That's right. Thank you, Rick Vance. Um... Yes, so let's hear those questions. Do you want to launch into them now? Would you sure. want to talk let's, comics or news? Let's, let's launch into them now, and then we'll do comics and everything afterwards. Y- yes. Although it's five questions, we could be doing this for the rest of the <laughs> Let's go! Hooray! I think I think we asked, we answered this. Uh, what's your position on buying Marvel backlist titles vis-a-vis the boycott? Isn't buying the actual comics that Kirby Gerber Ditko did get screwed on worse than buying current stuff for creators of better deals? Okay, that's a good question because it's one that I've been meaning to answer for months, and I I thought it was in the, in our uh, message stream, so I'm really glad this popped back up uh, since it's especially pointed to me. Um, 
Okay, so I uh, agree. Well, my current stance is I will not be buying current products from Marvel, even uh, when those products comprise, um, you know, reprints of things. So, you know, God help me if they turn around and drop some fantastic looking uh, machine man you know, omnibus or something like that, because I will be kind of screwed because I'm very firmly committed. I will not be making new purchases from Marvel. Uh, and that includes actually digital purchases as well, uh, which has been kind of uh, occasionally hand wringing. And in fact, I had this weird thing where um, I didn't realize this, but the Max Payne three comic book where I was like, oh, I would I would read that. I didn't realize that that was done through Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, yeah so it's a Marvel comic, yeah, exactly. And e- even though it is technically free, I'm like, uh, I, you know, which is kind of weirdly hardcore. But that being said, uh, I do have um, you know tremendous stockpiles of old Marvel reading material, um, and. I think, uh, as was pointed out, and gosh, let me see if I can jump over to Twitter very easily so that I can uh, mention uh, who who pointed it out. Yes, yes. I, I love the fact that no matter how much I try to vamp, um, inevitably... Uh, I'm just I'm just letting you go. I, I like when you just... Uh, <laughs> I like to be really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I wonder what's happening. Da, 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 da. I have a question for you, though, while, oh, while you are vamping. Okay. But I, think, I do think it's something you're about to say, so I, yes. I'm not sure if I'm going to step on your toes. No, um, if you're not going to buy current Marvel product, even if it's reprints. Yes. We have spoken in the past on this very podcast about you might buy secondhand Marvel products. Exactly. Exactly. Would you buy secondhand Marvel products if they were like say Marvel solicited uh, Essential Machine Man today right. mm-hmm. okay would you six months from now buy Essential Machine Man from Green Apple that is a really good question uh, my current inclination is is I don't honestly I have no idea like part of me is like yes but then if I do essentially I'm still sort of part of that current machine no pun intended I guess um, I feel like there is not necessarily a problem with that, uh, I, uh, you know, because on the one hand, although this is not the situation for you, say, that would actually be kind of inconvenient for me, you know, I mean, apart from going to Green Apple and buying it used and having to deal with whatever conditions it's in, I'm more like, the thing that's hilarious is honestly, if, if Marvel wanted to construct a way to just make me tear my hair out day in and day out. Which would begin, I'm sure they do. Right. But I mean, if they're really committed to it, if they began digitizing, you know, every Marvel comic from say 1968 to 1988 um, and, and making those available at an affordable price point, it would kill me like i th- like i think i we had mentioned as a joke like if they really want to you know make me hurt um you know just have them come out with a new edition of, of you know gerper's defenders uh especially shelflessly so the weird thing is i'm i really am believe it or not i'm in this weird zone i was at the comic book store yesterday and i'm like I- i've somehow flip-flopped i can see myself 
I, I can talk myself into buying a lot of floppies and singles. I cannot buy trades, really, unless I'm really going to cherish them. And that puts me in this really weird position, you know? Yeah, but this is what confuses me about this dilemma, though. If mm-hmm. Marvel put out a new edition of Gerber's Defenders, right. you've read it. Like, isn't yes. it easier to stick to your guns considering you already have read and own that material? It's a right. different thing from, I'm, I'm not boycotting Marvel, but if I was and they said, and Marvel went, oh, we're putting out Kirby's 2001, which well, I've Actually, read. that's a perfect example. Like, that, exactly. that would be a big deal for me. I'd be yeah. like, oh, shit. It's, you know, it's one of my favorite creators. Definitely during my favorite period of his was right. material that I've never read. Right. Yeah, no, there, there's actually a number of books, uh, particularly interestingly enough, they're licensed books, uh, Kirby's 2001, uh, The Micronauts, of which I only have like a small scope of the run, Rom Space Knight, which I didn't have much interest in at the time. And of course, having heard stories and realizing that it's Mantlo in, in one of his longest runs ever. Yeah. Uh, I would I would actually adore to read all of those. And so it it would be actually those things would be painful. The Gerber thing, ironically enough, as you pointed out, um I ha- I already have those and yet in that weird sort of, you know, doofus who goes from buying his stuff on vinyl to buying it on CD to, you know, even uh, and a lot of people won't follow me on this, then occasionally spending money if they've gotten rid of the albums to to buy a digital version. I I would read, buy uh, digital versions of comics that I've already had before. It, it With half the mind toward, that means that the ones that I have sitting away in storage, I can kind of... You can get, get rid, rid of, of yeah. with yeah, with a clean conscience, you know. Um, conscience isn't quite the right word, but w- without the sort of uh, uh, crazy, palm sweaty, you know, uh, hoardy obsessiveness. I think. No, I, so. I I understand that. I as we've said before, like I got rid of basically my entire comic collection for I came to America, oh, yeah. um, and I definitely did that with a sense of. I love so many of these things, and I know I would love to read so many of these things again. Yeah. Um, and the, very often I find myself thinking, if only I'd kept those Zenith books. Mm. Oh, yeah, the Zenith ones in particular. Well, let me ask you, do you feel uncomfortable? Would you not torrent books that you have purchased? Um, and, and I suppose the extension of that is, is that different from torrenting books that you have purchased and then, say, sold, for example? Okay, would I uh, – it's really weird for me because I can say really easily I wouldn't torrent Zenith. I wouldn't torrent these books. But a lot of that is because I don't really like the digital format. Oh, right. Do you know the what I mean? Like, it's format. a different yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. um, imagine if there was an easier way – to get away with stealing a physical book. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but that, that's sure. what it's like, because that would be my preferred right. par- format. Right. Even if Rebellion somehow got the Zenith rights sorted out and really mm-hmm. Zenith but only did it digitally, uh, digitally, I'm not sure I'd buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure how I feel about morality because it's so not an issue for me, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, that which is fascinating. I I know that that is something that you do not 
do, as far as I know. Uh, and it's fascinating that it's because of uh, format inclination. I suppose. Well, it's which it's, no, but it's also because of. I think we've said this before. Like I, I have the. I'm really unsure how I feel about the whole torrenting and stealing and everything like that because especially as I've gotten to know creators of books whose stuff is, is really torrented, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I right. do start I do start getting really conscious of your I mean, whatever the royalty is in that book, you're still taking it away from them. Sure. But it, it becomes a different thing when it's a book that's out of print and isn't in no hurry to come back into print. Right, exactly. Things no, it's, like it's, Zenith or yeah. Miracle Man or, you know, uh, or Marvel Man, I should say, or or Kirby's 2001 or Rob well, Space that, Man. That's just it. Like, in many of those cases, I'm not likely to do it, mm-hmm. but I can completely understand everyone who does. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I have no... What? No. Are you crazy? That's terrible. That's evil. I don't have right. that response to it because mm-hmm. it's really close to a victimless crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, this is this is one of the things that I find fascinating, and I think I might have tweeted about uh, a couple of weeks ago, is this idea in which uh, when companies behave in ways that are that have been unethical like for example the the whole situation where marvel continues to act uh uh, i think relatively unethically toward kirby and kirby's uh, family despite the situation of legally they are they're vindicated and in the right um it gets strange to get in that situation and be like okay but in good faith i'm not supposed to torrent those comics and deprive you of profits how you know question mark i mean that is something that um i just don't feel comfortable doing but i do find myself wondering um uh, corporations do spend a lot of time talking about the the uh people acting unethically and stealing their products while having behaved utterly unethically and you know, towards uh, the people that whose products that, you know, who created those products. And it's kind of funky, which is probably why, of course, they're they're very happy to sign on to laws that make that as illegal as possible, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, I don't know, just, it, it does get into a really, you really can follow this down to a, an incredibly mm-hmm. complicated, swampy, right. moral quagmire. You know, what I mean, right. it's like, yeah. which is more immoral? Is it right. more immoral to download a book, or is it more immoral to perpetuate a system where people are working and they don't? Not only do they not own what they create, but right. they ultimately see no benefit beyond the first payment. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. which one is really mm-hmm. more unethical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but also, exactly. is it a case of two wrongs don't make a right? Right. I think I think that that is ultimately what I feel, at least uh, in 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 the easy, non-morass way to look at is like, yeah, it's two wrongs don't make a right. You're not really you're not helping anyone or anything. I think, you know, it it, it is ultimately you're not, you know, you're not being fucking Zorro by by downloading, you know, by torrenting those comics. I, I don't feel so, you know. It it is no no huge blow um, against against the machine, 
But and definitely when you get into that weird realm of secondhand purchases, for me, the thing that's ironic is actually having it in what is your preferred format is enough of an inconvenience to me, I guess, that um, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Going and buying a secondhand version of of a Marvel product that is a reprint uh, would be a pain in the ass for me. And it, I, weirdly enough, it's different when when it's current products being published by Marvel, you know, like if someone is is like, Hey, you know, there's going to be a fantastic, you know, I don't know, leather bound three volume in a slip case, Captain America omnibus that collects the, the entirety of Ed Brubaker's run. Like it would be really hard for me to buy that used, even if I wanted it, because it would be one of those situations of you are turning two royalty payments towards the creators into one royalty payment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. So it's a little hand-wringing. Here's a uh, sort of follow-on question. Mm -hmm. Using my method, would you get these books out of the library? Uh, I don't know. Because I have done your library method. Of course, my my library is god-fucking-forsaken. Um... (laughs) That's the San Francisco Public Library system, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, which really, when you say it like that, you're like, they should have a great library system. There's something they about should. there's something where you're like, San Francisco should have a great public library system. Yeah, they really should. They really should. But there's any number of factors for which they don't. And I'm sure what someone would, you know, if we had a San Francisco librarian who could suddenly be, you know. Uh, phone in and cut in on our party line here, I'm sure they would say that they've got an amazing system for being able to offer other things. You know what I mean? Like, I may not be able to appreciate the fact that they have, like, I don't know, the finest handicapped accessible audiobook collection in the world. I don't know. But for comics, which you think, and graphic novels, which you think would be kind of a strength of theirs, um, I I am shocked. I will. I've rummaged through things, and I cannot believe just how poor the selection is. It, it breaks my heart. It really does. Um, you know. On the other hand, I was able to check out the first twelve volumes of One Piece without even blinking. So, I mean, honestly, they're probably saying like we're serving our audience, and the fact is, more people in San Francisco want to read, say, manga. Uh, then they do want to read, you know, Steve Gerber's Omega the Unknown, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, that's, that's pretty hard to argue with in a way for me. Um, but I have, I think I wouldn't have a problem checking out Marvel books out of the library because it, it has been purchased. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of passive spectation that I would be, it's something that I mentioned when the boycott first kicked in for me is back in the old days, I used to, you know, grab books at Comics Experience and read them without buying them. I think that's that sort of browsing is an inherent part of the marketplace, you know, Um, you know, not to excess. I wouldn't sit down and read all, you know, all 23 Marvel books that came out that month. But I might like flip through, uh, you know, something like Avengers versus X-Men. And if a page caught my eye, flip back to the beginning and then flip through. I mean, that is... Um, weirdly enough, I feel weird doing that now because I know that back then I did it sort of half thinking, not consciously, but it's like, 
you know that there's a chance that you might end up buying something as a result of that. Now, in a situation where I know that that's not the case, it then becomes this whole other situation for me entirely. So um, it's a it's a weird, brave, new, awkward world for me, because in in the past, in the 90s, when I moved heavily into the indies and away from the publishing of most of the the product of the big two, I was not especially, um, there, there was no animus or, or political motivation behind it. You know, uh, now it's, yeah, it's just because it's my level of discomfort, there's this weird level of like, well, you know, trying to refine that line that I've drawn in the sand. When is this okay? When is that okay? You know, and I'm tempted to say part of me is like picking something up secondhand that someone else has already purchased at the moment does not really feel like that terrible a thing you know to me um if i could jump back one of the things i find interesting and and it's totally okay if it's not a thing that you have any sort of reply for but you know (laughs) you well you have well to an extent you have access to uh, a, a schmancy ipad um why do you know is there do you know why you still prefer um, physical to digital? I mean, you know, I don't mean that in a way that's in you know, any way. You know what it is? I think it's a really weird thing, but I think it's very... I think I still make a subconscious connection between if I'm looking at something on a screen like that, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. some way I am working. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I, I was curious about that because... I would assume you actually don't do much work-based stuff with that iPad, although I could be wrong. I, I um, don't. I mean, I do mm-hmm. sometimes if, I'm, uh, if I have to watch something on Netflix or some sort of streaming content, mm-hmm. um, and I have to do it over the weekend. Yeah. Generally, I try and do it on the iPad and not, because I, I try, always try and basically shut down my computer on Friday and right. leave it off as long as humanly possible. Um, right. Just because okay. I spend so long on it during the week, uh, and so if it's some sort of streaming content, I will try and do that through the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But even even my, you know, I am trying to decompress browsing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will at some point take me to like Deadline or Hollywood Reporter or Newsarama or CBR? Right. In part yeah, because I'm like, you know, oh, I'm curious what's going on. And in part because I'm also like, well, I'm going to have to write about this tomorrow. Right. Well, yeah, you really have it. It's so commingled. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really, worse. really, really hard for me to separate it because I write about yeah. what my interests are. Exactly. And so exactly. it really does get difficult. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I find myself doing far less browsing or, or iPad usage or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. outside of the work day now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to try and give my brain a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I find entirely laudable. So I will I will instead like try and read a book even if it's the <coughs> shittiest book ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Or even just watch television because even though I write about television, there's I don't, I never right, write while watching if that makes sense. So I, I, mm. I, there is some sort of separation there. Um, Interesting. I don't know. I, it's just, also it depends what I'm watching. Yeah, I was going to say, I would think that considering what you're, what you watch, you could probably watch some, uh, what you write about, you could probably watch, say, cooking shows or uh, Top Gear or whatever without any sort of association, I guess. You know what I mean? 
Although that's yes, probably although, changed. Although I have, I have done a pitch to Time, which thankfully they've not said yes on, about cooking shows. Ah, see. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Like at some point, I'm going to start strip mining things like that, and so there will sure. never be relaxation. <laughs> <laughs> it will all be work. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it, there, there's. I I now have to. I'm now much stricter with myself in terms of like you know working, not working, which is weird because if you think about it, reading comics is work because it's going to feed into what I'm writing for Newsarama or what I'm writing oh, for yeah. for CBR. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's there's there's some mental divorce in there mm-hmm. that I can completely separate it. Interesting. I actually have the opposite where I am always aware that like sitting down to read comics is like, okay, like kind of like I have to make the time to do it. It's like, okay, I've got to feed this beast so that when Graham and I talk on Thursday, so like yesterday I went to the shop and I really had this thing where I only had three floppies and I was like, is this it? Like, I can't just read these and not have anything to talk about. And fortunately, the fourth purchase that I, I hopefully I will talk about later ended up really being kind of a jackpot for some of this stuff. But Well, that's really funny because I went to the store. I was crazy busy yesterday, but I made a point. I'm going to the store and I got there just for clothes in order to pick up things so we could talk about them. Exactly. Exactly. It really so was thing. like, because if we weren't doing this podcast today, we'd have been like, oh, I'll do it at the weekend. But there really was this element of, I have to go to the store. I have to pick yeah. things up. But even then, like, once I got home and I was reading them, and I was like, huh. Right. You know. Right. Comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I actually did have a little bit of that. Or or rather, it gets to a stage where it's like, I'm putting it aside, and I, I, I'm reading them, and I'm like, okay. It's kind of like the most enjoyable of my various duty responsibilities that I've got on the plate at the moment. So when I look at it that way, um, let me just give a shout out, by the way, before we move on to any other topics that Stephen Williamson, uh, who goes on Twitter by next uh, underscore Imaginot, is the guy who, um, uh, at least in the course of talking with on Twitter and various conversations, had mentioned the, the possibility of buying things secondhand. Uh, from Marvel, uh, which I thought was sort of an incredibly kind of useful uh, thing to think about these last couple of weeks. um, Okay, so before we completely change the subject, I have to ask, have you seen anything that you're like, oh, I might get that second hand? Not yet. I mean, the thing that's hilarious is um, there's a recent volume, like, you know, Marvel has done, like, the closest they've come to trying to break Jeff Lester is the Marvel firsts colon the 1970s, which I think you've seen. They've got several volumes out. Hibbs has had one volume that I I will bet you anything like serious money. If we were to give him truth serum, he would totally admit admit that he bought it because he was sure that I would buy it. You know, even though I said that I'd Marvel boycotted it, I I bet you anything because that copy is not motherfucking moved and he won't move it off the new bookshelf. He's just moved it lower and lower down. So it's now on the bottom rung, so to speak. But it's like the third or fourth volume and it starts out. I mean, it fucking opens with the first issue of Skull the Slayer, which is one of my favorite issues of one of my favorite comics of all time, you know, in terms of whatever you would call it, like. The thing that you feel like nobody loves but you, um, and I would so I, I was flipping through that volume at the store, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Because it had that. They did all sorts of weird, like, "Oh, well, by first we mean the first issue, you know, first appearance of 
like uh, Woodlord and Star God and Black and White and like or Star Lord and Wood God and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And I was like, motherfucker, like. It's that classic thing where if I were Graham McMillan, I'd be, well, of course I'm not going to buy this because I already have bought two-thirds of these issues. But because I'm Jeff Lester, I'm like, oh, my God, I own two-thirds of these. I should buy this. For so the other can... thirds. Exactly. So sad. Or so an see if you were me, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's a library. <laughs> no, I'm totally serious. You're talking about it. I'm like, yes. I've not even read Skull Slayer. Maybe I should see if they've got it in the library. That was in my head. Well, you should. You totally should. And thank because you live there and not here, they will have it. Whereas Interlibrary loans, Jeff, you can do that too. I know, but it's it's. Let's put it this way: I have to come up with a list of things to look for and able to do it. Because when I've tried the interlibrary loan system, browsing is about. Oh like no, you having, have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, it, exactly. You can't browse. There's there's yeah, far yeah, too yeah. much. There. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think that's my problem. Is is that it's it definitely if I get my shit together, I could do that. But uh, um, without the interlibrary loan service, I would not be able to read half of the shitty Star Trek novels that I've been reading, my friend. Oh my god, that's right! You're still reading those. I'm. I've, so I've actually I've actually delighted. stopped. Um, <gasps> what? Uh, basically, because I'm waiting for some to come through from the interlibrary loan, and I don't know oh. when to come through. So I've shifted onto Greg Rucka's novels. I've gone all the way back to his first one. Oh, uh, Keeper, which I finished the other night in one uh-huh. night. I don't know if that's because I was reading really fast. I had more right. time or whatever, but I honestly got to the point where I was like 100 pages from the end, and I was like, I'm just going to keep going and finish this. I'll just go for it. Yeah. Go for it. Um, that's fantastic. And I'm in the second, and I've got a third to pick up the library. So, yeah, that's – but it's – like I was saying, like I just read books really quickly to decompress my brain. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Star Trek, uh, if anyone – Next round of questioning. If anyone wants to know what happened in Deep Space Nine after the TV show finished in the novel spinoffs, you can ask me that shit. I can tell you all about it. <laughs> Are you? And I assume you're generally satisfied with that. I guess it's yeah. It's one of those things. It's in no way high art. Oh no, of course not. But it's completely enjoyable art. That I, I told you my reasoning, didn't I? That basically I was told, it was suggested that what I should do is distract my brain enough so I'm not thinking about work and being stressed about it, but yes. not be so distracted that I find something else to stress about. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what the Star Trek novels uh, do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. enough to make you go, huh, something else is happening, but yeah. in no way enough to actually really make you think about things. Right. Yeah, it, I think it's delightful. I'm hoping that I'm my fingers are crossed that in three years you'll actually be reading Harlequin romances because that would be phenomenal. But uh, <laughs> don't tell me, not, dude. I'm tempting like nobody's business. <laughs> I will probably buy for and just leave them around the house when I'm visiting. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I'd be like, what is this? Huh? This looks shitty. Okay, then. Huh? Love Savage Storm. <laughs> Love Savage Critics. <laughs> Only Josh asks, wait, what's top five Engelhard runs or storylines? Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I would say that's good. actually going to be surprisingly different between you and me because you were... Yes. Yeah, because you grew up with them in the 70s and I grew up with them in the 80s. And that's, okay. that's really what pins you down, I think, to the sort of thing. Yes, which is why I'm going to suggest that we switch it, uh, because I'm also a big fan of Killing Time, uh, and... Because I think this would be delightful since we've been doing this for so long. I'm going to try and guess yours, and then you can try and guess oh, mine. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Go. Okay. Okay. So Englehart for you, his West Coast Avengers run. Uh-huh. Uh his green his run on Green Lantern. Uh, are, tiny... are you going to go for like the extra points by trying to guessing specific storylines within them? Ooh, I think that'd be kind of rough. Okay. So so I'm just gonna start with this and then let's see if I can refine it. Okay. So West Coast Avengers, uh-huh. Green Lantern moving into the Millennium and New Strangers or New Guardians and counting that as 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 one. I guess, so to speak. Okay. So that's that's two of them right there. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I don't think that you would go for his post-burn run on Fantastic Four, although I think that it might be tempting to you. I find it, to me, I find it absolutely impossible that even with our distances and preferences being different, that you could not give it up for his Avengers Celestial Madonna arc. Um and that puts it at four. I know that the fifth is going to be some weird DC thing from the 90s. Oh, you're, like, who you're, knows? So, you're so hideously wrong. Really? The fifth would be, uh, the fifth would be Captain America. I was going to say Captain America. That was where I was going to go with. Because, again, like the Celestial Madonna, I'm like, there's no way that you can pass that up because it's fantastic. Yeah. And so you yeah. would definitely have Cap in there. Yes. Definitely have Celestial Madonna or some Engelhart Avengers. As we said, Absolutely I would Celestial I would Madonna. probably put Engelhart's Avengers in there in total, as opposed mm. to just oh, Celestial Madonna. Right. Yeah, because actually a good chunk of West Coast Avengers really does play off of what was originally there in the Avengers run. Yeah. Which makes it all the more kind of awesome. Yeah. And also yeah. when you were saying West Coast Avengers, I would specifically call it the Lost in Space Time arc. But mm. if I'm allowed entire runs, I would cheat and say that Vision of the Scarlet Witch is definitely part of West Coast Avengers. Oh, nice. Nice. Because yeah. it kind of is. Vision it crosses over a Witch. lot. It does. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so you are going to have Avengers and Cap, definitely. Yes, without a doubt. Uh, his detective run? You know, it's interesting. I'm not really sure if it, if it was, it would be in the number five spot. Because I... I uh, it's it's a, I, it's one that like everyone's like it's a classic run, but there's something not Englehearty enough about it. Yeah, it is true. It is true. Whether it's the influence of Marshall Rogers, I mean, there's stuff in it. Perhaps because I didn't read it the original time through, but uh, I do love parts of it. Um, but I I tell you what, if I and I can I can almost guarantee if I had read his Doctor Strange run. It would totally knock the detective run off off the wrong. Wait, wait. Have, I, have you not read his Doctor Strange? I have not. I have not read his Doctor Strange run. That strikes me as very surprising. Yeah, it's one of those little holes in the collection that I didn't go back to fill. Uh, and now I have to figure out if I ever will, in a way. Well, you I, know, I, interestingly I, I mean, you can't. Does that not fall under your... Oh, I guess you get a second well, hand. If I do the second hand stuff, yeah, exactly. So um, Anyway, Defenders I, is in there as well. Oh, shit. You know, his run on Defenders is so brief. I don't know if I would include it. I guess it's what. It, it really is, though, isn't it? It's, it's probably only like six issues. If that. Because Gerber, yeah. Gerber came in really, really soon. Because I, exactly. I was just thinking Avengers Defenders, and I was like, I guess he didn't write it much past. He didn't. He did Avengers Defenders. And then, interestingly enough, there's like four or five issues of Len Wein, who did almost as many issues before you get Gerber coming in. So, like, I think what we think of is, as Englehart on Defenders is actually much, much smaller. Although it's it's kind of phenomenal. Um, 
you know the the question really is like when it comes time for us to list our our favorite Engelhart arcs, how badly are we going to cheat to get everything in there? Because I'm like, well, if you think about it, it's really an extension of the Avengers. You know, so. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else you would put in there. Well, what are, Justice what are, League, would you put Justice League in there? You Which know, was, again, was seriously short. Yeah, seriously short. I would put his Green Lantern arc in there. His Green Lantern work is probably my favorite work of Green Lantern on the book. The only time I was buying it regularly and loving it. Was, you uh, just was loved the creepy, creepy Arisa stuff, didn't you? I, dude, that was only the creepy icing on, on the creepy the phenomenal cake. cake. On the creepy <laughs> cake. Well, you know, honestly, this is the thing I feel, and this could be different, is one of the things I like about uh, Inglehart and is... I feel he is generally a uniter rather than a divider. You know what I mean? So I feel, and I would have to go back and look at it to double check, but my feeling is he did so much more work to make Jon Stewart and Guy Gartner um, allies and sort of viable comrades of Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern. Yeah, it's supposed to rivals. Exactly, exactly. And so in that sense, I feel like he really changed the the tenet of the way those relationships work in a way that, you know, we still run off of that that dynamic rather than the older dynamic. It's um, it's funny as well. I think he really did so much more with the Green Lantern mythology in terms of how the ring works than yeah. anyone else had. Because yeah. you've got Kilowog creating all these crazy machines. Mm-hmm. Through mm-hmm. And, you know using that technology that way you've got also him I means like collecting his entire race mm-hmm. into his consciousness mm-hmm. using the ring you've got Arissa right. aging herself mm-hmm. subconsciously like he really does he thinks about this works on willpower how does willpower work right. this can do all these things that no one's ever really thought of before in a way that I don't think that many people have even done since mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I think that's actually a really, really good point. Um, yeah, he just did. He he just for me, he hit that sweet spot of intergalactic soap opera that Jeff Johns has sort of, and particularly Peter Tomasi. I feel in the in the uh, tie-in issues of, of Green Lantern Corps or whatever that I read afterwards was shooting for, but just never really succeeded in quite the way that Engel, that it does for Engelhart for me. You know who who always gets sort of completely missed out of the Green Lantern, you know, history. Um, mm. Gerard Jones. And Gerard Jones is a really strongly influenced by Englehart take, I think. Yeah. And it's weird because I also think Jones really influenced Johns, but I don't think Johns ever got an Englehart influence. Huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think actually... I think you're at the point where you're like a photocopy of, of a photocopy. Right. Well, or, or, or to me, I think the thing that's a shame is... I would probably be happier with Johns if he was um, more of a photocopy of a photocopy because Johns does the 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 continuity super crunch that Engelhart was famous slash infamous for, but he never really goes the extra mile to putting in the heart and the characterization. I feel like he makes noises toward it, and maybe that's just a more modern sensibility, but I honestly think he's just not that. I remember tearing my hair when he took over Teen Titans because he had all these interrelationships that he would mark out in the sketchiest way possible, either because he didn't feel like the marketplace really wanted anything in depth or he just didn't care about it you know i don't know it's 
part of me is really tempted to say or like he couldn't handle it but i have to mm-hmm. say the my my favorite comic that i read this week oh yeah was the advance of batman earth one which was so much fucking better than i was expecting interesting yeah 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 i i'm kind of i have to say that is both not surprising and surprising because i think john's once you give him a project that he has time to work on which i'm assuming that he did for batman earth one is usually so much more so much better than you know john's keeping all the plates spinning it is such a satisfying story Mm. i mean it reboots batman i mean fairly clearly do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he makes changes to the mythology that are they're not exactly dramatic in that he pretty much ends where you think he's going to end right but the starting points are so very different and not just in a gimmicky way in a way that works for the story and this the arc of the story is mm-hmm. so tight it's tight in a way that i haven't seen from john's mm-hmm. like ever or in a while i'm gonna say ever i'm gonna say this really? is the tightest construction of a story i've seen from john's wow um it, it really reads and this sounds like i'm being a dick and and backhanded compliment but it's not meant that way it reads like the batman movie that you would want to see mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well and that is how do i put this that sounds the why it's created that that was my thought yeah. mm-hmm, my thought was mm-hmm. huh if this is the if this is their their you know post christopher nolan reboot right. then then it would be great to be honest mm-hmm. with you it, it the choices he makes are really really smart hmm. that's great it's that's it's so funny because i got it and i was like well it's probably going to look good because it's gary frank and gary frank is also yes. completely on top of his game in this the opening sequence is just gorgeous Really? Yeah, he he's the first artist who's ever, with the exception of Mazzuchelli, made me believe that Batman is a guy in a suit. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it, you're, I was like, you know, it, it, if nothing else, is going to be pretty. But I honestly, after Superman Earth 1, had my, mm-hmm. my expectations <laughs> lowered so incredibly badly. Right. Um, but to give you an idea of, you know, me getting sucked into this, I was horrifically on deadline on the day that I got it in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I ended up reading all the way through to the end, even though I only meant to read the first couple of pages. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's fascinating. Because I was just like, I just want to know what happens next. Right. <laughs> it really was. I was like, oh, okay, I'm hooked. I am actually hooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which that's is why great. when I tweeted about it, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon or something. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I really have just like, you know, stopped for an hour to read this graphic novel. That's fantastic. Huh. Interesting. Well, I'm. I have to say I'm... Not entirely uh, surprised because I, I feel that Johns is capable of, of work of that caliber, but I still think that that's kind of amazing and great and pleasing. And it, so, yeah. it, it's, it's enough to make me wish that A, the new 52 Batman was better. Because I think it's mm. better than any of the new 52 Batman books. Mm. Uh, and also that that was the new continuity. It's tough. Because I, I see... I, I have, of course, I haven't read the the book, but I think the thing that you know, Batman and Green Lantern both got passes in that sense. Yeah, because they were selling well. <laughs> yeah, you know, so they didn't have to do the reboots. Yeah, um, which is, I guess, you didn't read Batman number ten. Uh, I did not. And you but I can't. I it. can tell you this. Hmm. Um. Candy Apple Alley. Yes. 
sent me a message on Twitter today that was just like, please tell me you and Jeff are going to talk about it. I know, <laughs> I know what the twist is. Um, I, I but, think that it's phenomenal that she wanted us to talk about it. That's I think, great. I think it's well, I, I think it's because she hates it. I think she. I, I, it wouldn't I, I surprise think me. she. She wants you to hate it too, and she wants me to hate it. Has to be said, I I got told about the twist, mm-hmm. um, because hi internet, um, and I think the twist is really flat, but maybe it works in the story. <laughs> really, is it that bad? No. How do I put this? Um, okay, there's a whole bunch of problems that I had with it. Uh, I picked up the issue. I read it yesterday. Uh, reader, uh, listeners, we're going full bore spoilers here, I think, to be able to, to talk about it. But um, essentially, it's the conclusion of the, the owl's storyline uh, or, or so it seems in that it picks up right after the Batman, the, all the various Batman tie-in issues for Night of the Owls, where the owls have more or less been defeated by various members of the Batman family. And Batman's like, OK, now's time for the big showdown. I'm going to go and and confront the family, the, the family that runs that has been behind the owls all this time and he goes and it's deliberately anticlimactic they have killed themselves and they're dead um and so you kind of have this feeling of like okay this is going to be the way that it wraps up and of course you kind of have that feeling of uh first off it's one of those like swerves that never works you know like you just i don't know how to describe it it's like no, but it's, if it's an entirely unsatisfying swerve I, the, right. there's, there is no other than the writer going, aha, there is nothing to be gained from that swerve. Well, wait. I, so I'm – let's – are you talking about the swerve of him showing up and everyone appears yes. to be dead? Yes. Right. It's it's also just – it is um, – it's like if you had a Friday the 13th movie where like two people got killed and then everyone else spent like six hours like clutching themselves and then they go in and you see that Jason has like drunk himself to death in front of a TV set and is dead. And you're like, well, I'm clearly not going to buy that. You know what I mean? Like there's something inherent in the genre. And I think Snyder was kind of going, okay, so there's going to be another twist, but what is it going to be? And at that point, the instant you see everyone dead, you're like, okay, I know there's a, there's going to be another twist and B it's going to be the unexpected mastermind that's going to be behind it. And that mastermind is going to be a shocking reveal. So at that point, you get into the realm of who's going to be the shocking reveal. And this is instantly just when you get to the page and you see the family dead, right? There's no extra little bit of like, how do I put it? You just know. It's like you walk in, you know, and you're not, you're not even expecting the family to be there. Yeah. You're 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 a step ahead and you're like, and so this is the bit where he finds out it's not who he thought it was. Yeah, exactly. So suddenly you're four pages ahead of it. There is also a thing um, that Batman seems to suffer from, and I do not believe that... uh, uh, Do you mean the character or the book? The book. Well, the book and or the mythos, uh, because I'm actually talking about, let's say within a five to six year period, um, Batman has suffered from... Uh, what I would call uh, except maybe excessive editorial meekness, I guess, you know, and the classic example is in the middle of Hush, there's that one issue where Batman is fighting a figure and it's Jason Todd and 
And Jason Todd, it looks like, is back. That's the last page finale of this issue of Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. And everybody that I knew of, at least at Comics Experience, including Hibs and stuff, people were like, dude, that's kind of fucking awesome. Now, it ends up being this supposed red herring, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Loeb goes, oh, no, 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 it's actually someone else. And of course, we've heard, you know, I've heard rumors since that Loeb wanted it to be Jason Todd and was not, essentially, the editors nixed it. That, that They thought people were going to be too upset by that and you couldn't do it. So they went with the imagery of it and then it was such a huge success that they were kind of like, well, Chad Winnick, get your ass in here, you know, and then you got the whole Red Hood storyline. You know I, what I mean? I love the idea that Marvel editorial goes, DC editorial goes, hey, Chad Winnick, get your ass in here. And he's well, just outside the door. Yes. Like, oh, bye, oh, bye, oh, bye. Now but, it's my chance. Ha ha. Well, and it's probably like, Chad Winnick, get your pretty ass in here. And then suddenly like little go-go lights go off and music starts playing. And Only Chad Winnick's giggles. in like little shorty shorts and giggles and jumps on the desk and starts da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Chad Winnick. You know, I can see that, uh, sadly. That says a lot about my imagination. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Jeff, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anyway. I, I make no apologies. So... Uh, All of which is to say, uh, you have Batman R.I.P. You and and more specifically, what I thought was arguably the most enjoyable uh, aspect of Batman R.I.P., which is David Uzumeri's annotations as the book went on. And he threw some theories out there, one of which was that um, that Dr. Hurt was going to turn out to be uh, Bruce Wayne's half brother, uh, Thomas Wayne. Or not half brother, but his his forgotten brother from Thomas Wayne from the delightful I think it was Bob Haney scripted World's Finest. I, I could be wrong on that. And he presented the case kind of actually really beautifully. And what we ended up getting from Doctor Hurt was such a really bad, such such a bad like Grant Grant Morrison's most inspired uninspired makeout session ever where it's just like ah, or maybe it's the father oh, or the dad or the devil you know unexciting and again maybe that's because he was like we're going to have bring back thomas wayne he's going to be dr hurt it's going to be batman versus you know his brother but he thought it was his dad but it's really his forgotten half brother and it, everyone is going to shit and the 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 Batman people were like, yeah, that's a little... And then after Batman R.I.P. was over, they like leaned over and they're like, Scott Snyder, get your pretty little ass in here. And it's like, go, go, boots. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Scott Snyder! You know, so I... When Thomas Wayne pops up as the big dude behind the owls, it is so fucking flat because it's this weird... Batman has been so timid and tentative about this stuff that when they get around to finally doing it, you're like, dude, I'm... I thought I, that happened two years ago. Yeah, I just... it. I When I had that month where I didn't know from issue to issue and it was so exciting, you should have done it then. But to do it after the fact, you just can't road test Luke, I am your father. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't be like, I am your father or am I? You know, and then, you know, okay, yeah, I am. No, 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 no. I, I, I yeah, love yeah. Let, let's say Darth I. Vader is like an old man. 
Yeah, well, you know, think oh, about God, it. I'm your father. Well, um, I was trying to sound awesome, but I, yeah, I've got a little too much, you know. My, here's try my, the view. <laughs> you know, here's my problem with um, Thomas Wayne being the Talon. Mm-hmm. Thomas Wayne is Owlman in the Crime Syndicate of America and has been since the sixties. Yeah. Does it not like was that not obvious? <laughs> like when you suddenly bring in an owl man into Earth One. Oh it's the first person you're not going to suspect. I'm Homer yes. Simpson. I tell you, I, even when you said that, I'm like, go on, blink, blink. I no, didn't but get you know that. what I mean? Like, like, it's like, oh look, it's, it's Owl Man. And then you're like, right. oh, I bet it's going to be Bruce Wayne's brother. Oh. Never even occurred to me. I mean, because that's the thing. I never even I never even thought that there was which is maybe you're right. Well, the other the other thing why... is they, they were never like, who is Owlman? Well, and I think that's probably why. So I think Scott Snyder did this whole like, who's Owlman? In the last five pages of that issue, so that his whole idea was to stop you from asking those questions for five months ahead and figuring it out. But consequently, it it. It lacks it. That's part of that's just it. it you, that's part of why it ends up so flat. I'm sure that's exactly why they tried to take the path that they did. And it's deeply unsatisfying. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like by the time you get there, I mean, I'm sure that was like it's kind of like, oh, it all makes sense. And there's I haven't been following. But Lord knows it wouldn't surprise me if there was, you know, Scott Snyder's, you know, if you God knows if this was Marvel, you would have Scott Snyder, you know, talking at length on Newsarama or something going, well, yes, you know, it makes a lot of. I'm fairly sure he's already done that on like seven different websites. Okay, well, there you go. Don't worry. I'm sure Scott Snyder has done his publicity tour already. And that was yesterday. Exactly. Exactly. And it was yesterday going like, well, this was huge thing and something we had to do. But of course, if you see it after the fact, it all makes clear, you know, it's an owl man. He has an owl. You know what I will uh, tell you instead? You should have picked up Batman and Robin issue 10, which doesn't feature the return of Bruce Wayne's thought to be dead slash never existed brother but instead features uh damien telling all the other former robins that he is going to take away something from their lives to prove that he is the best and he is the best robin ever (laughs) it's awesome this series continually just makes damien seem horrifically fucked up in a really weirdly bleakly comedic way that's really funny. He really does have a showdown with the other like he calls them to a meeting on a rooftop, basically to say, I am the best, and I will beat you all to prove it. Wow. And how is Batman okay with that? He doesn't even know what's going on. And none of the other Robins are gonna say anything because well, it's just uh, a of pride Tim, or something. Tim Drake goes back to the Batcave to tell him. And mm-hmm. Damien is already there and kicks his ass. That's the entire issue. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> it's spectacular that, and the cover actually goes war of the robins and i was like there's no way and it really is that's the plot the plot is that Damien's just such a dick that he's like i am better than all of you well i should i guess i should be reading that part of me is like kind of like unconvinced like i'm like that's awesome with a question mark because i'm not sure how i feel about that to be honest i think um, i think it's hilarious but i also can see why anyone who uh, how can I put this? Cares about the characters might not think that. Right, exactly. I mean, there is kind of that thing where I'm like, ah. and I mean, I have to say, this is the other thing is uh, j- just to double back, not to step all over your recommendation because I admit it, I, Batman and Robin is something that I should obviously, clearly should be checking out. But 
the issue of Batman, despite the fact that it fucks up the major thing that it's doing, and then there's the backup story, which is a little... Um, the thing that frustrates me is that between Capullo and Snyder, weirdly enough, because they have this whole showdown taking place between Batman and uh, and uh, his brother, the stage leading up to it, um, Snyder is able to throw a lot of detail uh, on the fly into Gotham City to make it seem like Gotham City is like this place that has these things, you know, these landmarks in this place, in this case, uh, an abandoned child sanitarium with a sinkhole in it that has... To me, like that part between Capullo's introduction and uh, be- between Snyder's descriptions of it and Capullo's um, uh, depiction of it, I really I dig parts of it. Like I can't totally write that issue of Batman off because there's part of me. There's a great sequence where um, Batman is talking with Alfred about stuff and he's leaping off a roof to do a sort of bat squirrel glider thing and the way that capullo frames batman falling it looks like he's flying through the skies except all the buildings are sideways and it's just dynamic and phenomenal you know what i mean like it's one of those things that uh anyone else given that instruction i think would have been so literal minded that they would have shown batman plummeting you know like a, 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 a in a um vertical action and just this the switching of it to a horizontal motion to give that sense that you almost are like why is batman flying but it looks perfect you know um there's all sorts of bits and pieces if this were another book or if capullo and snyder were writing something else um you know getting a chance to write uh an urban goth crime gothic uh in in some ways the bits and incidentals of what they're doing remind me of the stuff that uh, David Lapham was trying to do with his big 14 part detective comics arc that I didn't, that I thought I would love and basically ended up jumping off of. Uh, I feel like they're doing it in a way that I wanted to see it. And I'm not, that's not really high praise because I don't think there's a lot of people who want to see that, but I'm just saying that I can, I'm still not, uh, I'm still unable to write Batman off despite the fact that, that the turn that it made was so goddamn boring. And I can't see anyone giving a shit about Thomas Wayne as Owlman at all. I just can't. So, there you go. Someone, I can't remember who knows, someone on Twitter yesterday kept pointing out that uh, Snyder's done this already. Like his detective right. arc is all about Jim Gordon's mm-hmm. son being a crazy right. psychopath. Exactly. Which is a really, like, an eerily similar beat. Yeah. Well, the thing that's eerie is, is that apparently he, you know, clobbered that one. Like, people didn't see it coming, you know, or if they did see it coming, it was one of those situations where, if nothing else, they didn't have Grant Morrison doing a year of Detective Comics painting with that. I read it in collection, and to be honest, people who didn't see it coming, I, I don't know how that happened. (laughs) <laughs> the foreshadowing is insanely unsubtle. Mm, interesting. I mean, yeah. you have really early on, mm-hmm. like this this character coming back and Barbara Gordon being like, he's a psychopath, Dad. <laughs> and Jim Gordon being like, no, no, he's, no, he's not. He's, he's better. No. 
And then like he like he'll turn up and he'll be like, I am a psychopath, Dad. And Jim McGordon will be like, no. I mean, it was really, <laughs> really, really unsubtle. Uh, so the idea, I, the idea that I no want one to see saw it pages. coming is kind mm-hmm. of amazing to me. Well, or maybe they saw it coming, but they, they thought that it was satisfyingly done. I mean, or let's they face thought, it. They thought it was coming later, and they didn't think that. Because that's the thing. Like, it, It's yeah. quite clear that he's crazy, but it's not necessarily clear that he's the bad guy. Right, 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 right. And I think that might have been one of the things. I mean – a lot of detective comics caught everybody off guard, you, you know, for various reasons. Uh, and I kind of feel like mm, Scott Snyder doesn't, you know, he doesn't have that element of surprise in a way. So, I mean, he's got some some interesting tools in his tool belt. But so far, we're not seeing a lot of they don't seem like especially varied tools. You know, it's like, well, I've got I've got the sledgehammer. I've got the ball peen hammer. I've got the regular hammer, uh, the plot hammer, uh, which whichever hammer you want. I'm totally flexible. As long as it's a hammer. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to do when you need me to saw through wood. But uh, but yeah. Uh, huh. I'm going to get I'm going to get back to uh, only Josh's question because he had a second part. Ooh. Most underrated Engelhart run. <sighs> Do you, do you, ooh, do you, I see, this is the great thing. You're the type of guy who, <laughs> sound like L.O. Cool J. You're the type of guy who loves L.O., who loves Englehart's Green Lantern. I'm the type of guy. Uh, anyway, uh, do you have a, do you have a, there must be, West I'm sure someone Avengers, would West say. West Coast Avengers is genuinely for me the most underrated Englehart run. Because I think, yeah, it's as strong as any Avengers title has ever been for me. But yep. it was like the spinoff title that people just didn't pay attention to. And these days, people still think of it as a spinoff title. And it's, yeah. it really is just an amazingly good slab of superheroes. I think so, too. I mean, I think that his his work, a lot of his return to superhero work in the 90s tends to get underrated and in some cases it definitely gets downright hamstrung i think you and i would both agree on that whereas like i didn't is 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 i appreciate him giving it the old college try to the fantastic four stuff but it really was just too weird and icky uh for me it really Um, was taking all the the sexual neurosis of green lantern and turning it up which just felt felt out of place in a bad way in fantastic four because it felt kind of nasty in a way well, that I don't, don't think it did in Green Lantern. Does that make sense? Well, like there was something, something more uh, misanthropic about it. That's funny because I always felt, and I could be wrong, is that I felt that what happened was Englehart had that thing of like, okay, so you get the hand that you're dealt from the person who left and – you know, you play it out. That's what you do. You know what I mean? Like, that's just considered good form. So I feel like he was very much dealing with Burns' misanthropy and misogyny in a way. And he was like... He possibly is, but I feel that he really amped it up. I think that when he had the, I'm going to bring your ex-girlfriend onto the team to punish you, Mm -hmm. like that felt far more so. And because it was Engelhart, he dragged it out far longer than Burn would have. Burton would have had mm-hmm. that done in four issues. Yeah. And Engelhart did it for like 30. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then Engelhart could take it off the book is the other thing. So he didn't actually right. get to bring any of it to conclusion. Oh, no. Exactly. Well, he strung it out in a way. In a way, I don't know. It just, 
it just it all made me uncomfortable but it made me uncomfortable in a way that like um you know i just felt like Englehart was the guy who showed up and you know showed up with the, the with the bowl of chips and the and the six pack of beer to what he thought was a super bowl party and when it was a swinger party he's like okay i'm gonna throw these chips on the couch and people start wrestling you know and it's just like ugh, no i don't ah. You know, I felt like he was very game in a way that that uh, creeped me out. Also, there's probably going to be a lot of people who are going to talk about how awesome Coyote is. I never could take a liking to it. I don't know why. Just never, it never clicked him. I've never read it, but since finding out that there were collections, I'm probably going to try and track them down. Ooh, via the library. Yes. Um, Yules. So oh, I just yeah, wait. I'll, I'll go on interlibrary loan and I'll find out like maybe two libraries in America have it. There was one book I can't. It was Maze Agency. I was looking up the IDW collection <laughs> of Maze Agency, which is like five years old. It's not that old, right? right? There's like uh-huh. maybe I think it was twenty libraries in all of America had it. Wow! It was so low. It was amazing. That's that is kind of astonishing. Um, oh, anyway, Rick yeah. Vance. Ah, uh, yes. Um, A, B, and C plots seem to be absent from the New 52. The books seem to pick one and focus. What happened to the back plot? Trade paperbacks. Yeah, trade paperbacks, I think, had really killed off. I, I feel like there's just been a diminishing amount of subplot in all books. And New 52 just kind of, like, codified that, I think. I'll be you know. really curious to see them come back, if that makes sense. Uh, I think that Earth 2 is going to end up being the book that does that. Because mm, I think that's how Robinson writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might not write in, a, in an obvious, okay, you get 15 pages for A plot. I'm going to give the B plot three pages. I'm going to give the C plot a couple, you know, two right. pages. Right. But he definitely does the long-term planning. Because you could see it in his Justice League. Well, I was about to say, like, you would think that if there was anyone who learned not would learn, don't do that. It would be Robinson because of his justice in DC. Yeah, exactly. You know, because and I think that's that's the other thing that I would say is in the new 52. And I think this is uh, assuming that the big two are going this way industry wise anyway. uh, You know, everyone walked into the new 52 kind of being told like, hey, you're replaceable. You know, you oh, yeah. perform or you're gone. That's definitely been shown to be the case of the f- yeah. of the 52 books that were announced last last year, like a year ago mm-hmm. last week. Um, 10 have been cancelled and 14 have had significant creative team changes. And by significant, I mean like the writer is gone. And the artist was never that permanent to begin with. Right. So I think at that stage... So that's, that's half the books, essentially. Yeah. Walking and and knowing that it's that way, walking into it, it makes sense that nobody uh, with the new Fifty Two is going to be like, oh, okay, but here's my awesome subplot, you know? Like it's just not unless you're sitting high in the the Jeff John seat, you know, you're just not yeah. going to bother with that. I think. Whereas you know? I, I am not a comic writer, and I'm never going to be. Mm-hmm. Bizarrely and perversely, that's what I'd want to do if I was writing a Fifty Two book. Oh yeah. But I think I'd want to pick up on other subplots as well. Like mm-hmm. in the old school like 70s, 80s Marvel thing, where it'll be like mm-hmm. Nova was cancelled, but now Fantastic Four is going to finish that plot. Yeah. Because there's a that... lot of stuff that's been left dangling from the cancel uh-huh. And you're like, you could totally pick that up. Right. And to be fair, some of it has. Like Omax carried over into Justice League International. 
Sure. I'm, which I'm sort of like, eh, you know. But yeah, no. And that is, hmm. I would argue that that approach makes things feel more like a cohesive universe than, hey, everybody, let's all jump into event A. Yeah, after, yeah, after a year, hey, everybody, let's all fight the same bad guy. I think when you yeah. have people actually wander from series to series, mm-hmm. it, it really does cohere a lot more. And I think... And this is where I say something that everyone in the comments is going to disagree with. I think the Marvel Universe didn't feel like a universe until the second wave of writers. Because it was the second wave who let characters go between books without it being a one-issue event. So you'd have Engelhart writing all of a sudden, the X-Men are in Captain America. Yeah. And it's not like, this issue, Cyclops and Captain America, punch it out. But it was kind of like... They just popped up. Yeah. You'd, you know, you'd have the characters cross over like that. And mm-hmm. I think that was mm-hmm. when it started feeling like, oh, that's right. It's a shared universe. It's not an event yeah. every time they cross it over. It's because right. they live in the same city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they get captured by the, the same supervillain kind of, which seems arbitrary. But there really is that thing where, um, be, yeah, because Marvel was trying to like, because I think in that particular case, I think Englehart might have said, like, Thomas kept trying to test the waters for an, an X-Men book and having them return. And so wanted them in there. And and so there's that weird feeling of, like, they're not in there because they're moving that many copies. You know, they're not Wolverine. They're there because they're, you know, for whatever reason. But it feels very organic as a result. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of have that feeling of, like, when the book has characters that you don't care about like oh wolverine and ghost rider like somehow you know like those are there to move sales but when it's speedball you know what i mean and he gets a subplot where he falls in love with peggy carter or whatever then you're like well you know and it does give that feeling of you know uh of movement and i don't know i i'm also so heavily from marvel's second wave that i'm like yes graham tell it but honestly whenever i see stuff like Stan Lee did a fantastic job with having people fly in the background and have everyone point out, like, in a Spider-Man book, oh, look, there's Thor, or, like, ah, he's no Captain America. Like, that stuff must have seemed revelatory at the time, but it always, to me, it always feels so, perhaps because it's been ripped off so many times since, it always feels so forced. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, whereas, yeah, when it's when it's a case of, like, hey, here's somebody who is, you know... Uh, uh, here, you know, here's Bill Mantlo who is writing Marvel Team Up, but because he's such a big fan of Deathlock the Demolisher, you know, and he's got a time travel saga lined up, he's going to throw those characters in and go. You know, it's kind of it's it's kind of exciting. Yeah. yeah. Or again, Engelhart when he sends the Avengers through time, oh, and yeah. it's like, and here's the you know here's the two guns kit. Right. Well, and and but I mean, and that is the sense to me. Engelhart is Engelhart uh, to me is the guy who actually made that work. Like, work. The, the, like the, the share, he made business. the shared universe really work. Yeah. Well, because he served it to such good ends. I mean, there really is uh, when you have in the middle of the Celestial Madonna storyline, the Vision discover like travel through the past and essentially discover his whole origin which isn't necessarily anything revelatory we're more or less told like hey you're the human torch but you've got Wonder man's brain patterns but when he finds out what that all means and how that plays out um one of the reasons why i feel like 
everyone talks about Englehart as a cosmic author. Um, the, the, the feeling of everything being interconnected didn't necessarily come from the panel of somebody's face glowing with the universe coming through it. It came from the fact of he worked all these little interconnections that connected the dots. I mean, he really out Roy Thomas is Roy Thomas in that regard, oh, which like is he phenomenal. really, really does. Um, mm-hmm. I like how we went sort of back on Engelhart. Um, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's a really good example. Just recently, yeah. I've read um, the Essential Avengers book that has him in the 70s taking Avengers through time. Oh, yeah. And just before that, completely coincidentally, I read the West Coast Avengers trade, Lost in Space Time, where he does mm. the sequel mm-hmm. like a decade mm-hmm. later. But he takes them to the same spots. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you get this meta story. Yeah. Where, like, characters walk, they, they Rosencrantz and Gilderstern in the Marvel Universe. Do you know what I mean? Like, the West Coast Avengers are in the oh, room next to Doctor Strange when Doctor Strange is traveling through time and has got to ancient Egypt and is looking for the Fantastic Four from when they first traveled through time. Right, to, you know to ancient and Egypt. Like, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, that it's sort of thing is. Stuff. Yeah. Like, Engelhart could do that sort of shit in a way that is, it is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, he's just, uh, definitely high up on the old list. Um, do you have sorry, question? A, a, ABC yeah. plots. So yeah, are we just saying trades and because people just don't know how long they're going to be on titles anymore? Yeah, I think trades, also, you don't know how long they're going to be on. I mean, page, page count. And I don't think writers these days know how to use the, the real estate of their comics anymore. Well, uh, yes, it, it's a two-step process. Uh, again, I, I hold to my old saw that the the guys who are now considered to be too wordy, which is like Claremont and a huge chunk of the guys who learned their craft in the 70s, the advantages to being too wordy is your scenes could play out faster. I honestly believe that that even if you're not trying to Brian Bendisize your Spider-Man number one, you know, um, you're... <laughs> Did you read? You kind of read that. It's a Marvel book. No, I didn't read it, but but I walked in and Hibbs was like, son of a bitch. Like, he all but kicked a cat in front of me because he was like, I am so pissed at the editors of that book. Like, he was just like, because you pick it up. And he basically described the whole thing. And it's like, and so it ends at issue one with the two of them meeting each other. And you're just, and he was like, really? You couldn't have had that on page one? Yeah. And gone forward a little bit? You know what's happening? Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually a terrible first issue. I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily for that but also for that so I, I have a real problem with it because it makes this comic and this is going to sound so weird it makes the comic about Peter Parker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it completely removes which is a shitty thing to do yeah you know what it completely I mean? removes the agency of Miles mm-hmm. Morales Miles Morales yeah. becomes the alternative Spider-Man yeah immediately yeah, yeah. because you spend 19 pages with Peter Parker yeah, yeah. and it's I mean, even if the next two, even if the next issue is the same thing happening to Miles Morales. Oh, it, God. Wouldn't that be horrible? And issue two ends with him meeting Peter Parker. What kind of dick move would that be? Yeah, for yeah but it's, it's not going to be. It's, it's just not. But it's, it just it devalues Miles Morales so much. Yeah. He becomes yeah. like this. He becomes the other. And we've done lots of like jokey references to mm-hmm. comics not being able to deal with race and the other and everything, but Morales literally becomes the other in this comic. Yeah, and it's it's 
it's terrible. I mean, it's it's an appalling treatment of the character that I don't even think Bendis knows he's doing. Well, yeah, and this is the thing that bothers me. Is is like there's part of me where I could see where this book is being put forward with the idea of. You know, we're going to put this out here and show everyone that it's okay that we're still committed to Peter Parker's Spider-Man kind of thing for everyone that like, you know, all the racists who like crap the bed or whatever. But I think because I saw a few like little loose tweets or whatever and or well, maybe not. Maybe it was actually just someone a reviewer's opinion, but it was definitely that idea that that Bendis was super excited to be able to write Peter, Peter Parker's Park. Spider-Man yes. without without having to write the rest of the Avengers surrounding him. And and I was like, what an incredibly short-sighted approach to this project for that reason. You know what I mean? Like, just oh, it, Spider-Man it, annual, if that's what he yeah, wants. It definitely, definitely reads like that. The other thing that's kind of sad is, hey, Spider-Man's kind of shitty. Interesting. Huh. Spider-Man is not... His Spider-Man reads very... When he's not got the other characters to play off of. Right. Spider-Man reads very much like a more boring version of the ultimate Peter Parker Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue is especially close, um, which kind of feels like a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's, I, mean I feel there should be more difference. And also the, the narration, uh, Peter Parker's narration is cliche Bendis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, all told, it's a really, really problematic comic. I think people who are saying things like, it's an interesting start. Uh, <laughs> Shelley's art really shines are looking for things to say about it that aren't. I was disappointed by this because Mm -hmm. it's a really horrifically disappointing comic and short of doing something spectacular in the remaining issues and Mm -hmm. having seen the cover where Miles Morales is lying in the arms of Peter Parker who is crying, I don't think they're going to do that. Get out. Yeah, that's like the cover of issue four. Um... Yeah, it's it's it, it's it just kills Miles Morales. It it is it really just says, yeah, this is the extra Spider-Man. This the you know this is not the real right. The real ones. No, 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 no. Spend the book with. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is a crazy dream sequence. It's mm-hmm. it's very for all their. This is really going to change both characters. It it sells Miles Morales out horrifically. Yeah. It 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 hurts them much more than it could ever benefit him. Well, yeah. I mean, I have to say that um, my feeling is is that Miles Morales got damaged by that, by that opening arc. I just think they've done poorly by him, in part by, by not taking care. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, it's, it's that classic, like, you know, there's Brian Bendis, like, drunk getting behind the wheel of the snowplow going don't worry i've got it, everybody you know and it's just no take away the keys from that guy you know like he just doesn't like they could handle things carefully you know with care with care and that just doesn't seem where where marvel's really at although interestingly enough people do feel i mean and by people i mean brian hibbs is like you know what x-men versus avengers it's selling people do think that it matters They've made us convinced that it matters and it seems like it's going to matter and it's going to have some repercussions and it's going to work, you know. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but people are really going to read a book when everybody, when it's all 
stamped with nothing but this is important because we say so, you know? Yeah, like, of, yeah. <laughs> did you see the sales of fear itself? Well, of but course this is they it. are. Yeah, no, but, but they are. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the sad thing. We can both be like, well, I wish the buys up. They are. Yeah. What yeah. what I'm really curious about is how long that's going to last. It's lasted longer than I've thought. I mean, because they're, they're just about at the halfway point, right? Yeah, but I wonder what the numbers are going to be like. Because we've only seen the numbers through issue four. Right. Okay. So which And they've held up pretty well, haven't they? Yeah, but the tie-ins haven't. Oh, right. Well, that's true. But and also you've got to remember that the, the, the main books themselves have, and I'm not exaggerating, like seven varying covers. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, that and is crazy, true. And crazy ordering incentives. Like it's one of those mm-hmm. things where, like the new 52 launching, you can't necessarily take the numbers as the numbers. Yeah, that is I, true. I think it's incredibly, incredibly telling when all of the Avengers books and all of the X-Men books are tying in. Mm-hmm. And none of them are moving more yeah, copies. Well, well, they're moving more copies, but the top 10 is the core book and lots of DC books. The fact that Detective Comics by Tony Daniel mm-hmm. is outselling Avengers, new Avengers or Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. when Avengers versus X-Men is going on, mm-hmm. seems telling to me. Wait, it's only outselling Uncanny? Yeah. Wow. Detective is number 10 in the charts. Well, up until AVX kicked in, I thought Uncanny was like Marvel's highest selling book. Did it has it has it slid suddenly, uh, or am uh, I mistaken? I no, I, th- I think you might be right. I'd have to look at the full top th- top three hundred. I don't remember the top ten right now. Right, because I remember sort of like when paying attention to when Marvel was dominate. I mean, when DC's New Fifty Two titles were dominating. I thought it was kind of this really interesting thing to me that Kieran Gillen, who was writing Uncanny X-Men, was basically the number one selling Marvel book, as I recall. And I remember thinking, wow, that's kind of, you know, because Gillen is not being held aloft at, you know, at, oh, at architect he, level. He is now. Uh, well, the, perhaps, the, new yeah, solicits have, um, the new solicits have a listing for Marvel re-evolution, like a trade paperback of uh, what's clearly going to be their they're you know newly promoted writers mm-hmm. uh, Ender and Gillen are both in there right which seems sensible yeah because they they're because they're, they're the guys they are the yeah, guys. they're the guys they're who the are guys. actually moving the books right now yeah exactly exactly um, but what is fascinating to me is how bad Revolution is as a brand because mm-hmm. it's a dumb name to begin with yeah <laughs> but yes like, there's I don't know Revolution because the so let's, I'll say something like, they're the people who are re-evolutionizing comics. <laughs> <laughs> what? what does that even mean? I don't know. It feels weirder than the architects to me. Let's have the top 300. I'm trying to find the top 300 and utterly failing. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, it's, we're just, yeah, talk amongst yourselves, everyone. I'm completely... Yes. This. Let me say that I picked up uh, Ian Brill's Dracula World Order. Uh, the print copy and for people who are out there like it's gotten some very good reviews uh, $3.99 I think you can pick it up digitally because he had a very limited run uh, Ian as you he's, know yeah his first short podcast. 300 yeah 300 copies uh, and it's got Taun- it's sold out it did yeah. Tansi Zonjic who is the artist for chapter one is phenomenal I love that guy like seriously i i wrote in after seeing the book saying like you know 
I I really like what Ian's doing here and what he's trying to do. But he, as a guy who like not only wrote the book, but I believe actually was the editor of the book itself. Um, he did a phenomenal job of picking out his talent. I mean, you've got, you've got Gabriel Ardman in here, um, Declan Shalvi and Roshan Ekdal, but Tanzi Jansik's work, who I think he colored his work as well, is phenomenal. If there are people out there who are big fans of, say, Cliff Chang's work, um, definitely hunt up this book uh, digitally, because I think Ta- that, I think that guy's good. And I'm so glad that you're pronouncing the name. Uh, mm-hmm. I could be art- mispronouncing it. Did the yeah. artwork for Heralds, which is a Catherine Emin in Marvel series from uh, a year ago? No shit. Ago? I will go find um, that then. Which is all about, and here's your continuity porn for you, Frankie mm-hmm. Ray as Nova. Mm, yes. Um, and it's very Catherine Mimini, by which mm-hmm. I mean you get a ridiculous amount of fun because the core characters are Hellcat, She-Hulk, right. mm-hmm. Emma Frost, and the Monica Rambo Captain Marvel. Right. Um, so you get lots of funny, snarky dialogue in all of mm-hmm. this fairly existential story about what happens to Frankie Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it looks beautiful though. It's my point. I, I and I'm sure it is. I would love to hunt. I would love to hunt that up secondhand. Apparently, woohoo! Um, <laughs> okay, but, uh, I was going to say let's move on because I could just can't find this. No, okay. Thing. And also questions. Yes. Okay, Christopher Beckett asks, "What forgotten classic series slash storyline slash creator do you feel is true for a reevaluation in 2012?" Oh man, I, we're getting all these fucking awesome questions, and of course I've been like, ah, we got five questions. Uh, you know, yeah, let me I know. tell you about uh, what forgotten classic series storyline creator. Um, I don't know about creator. Oh, cla- a, a forgotten creator? Yeah, it's tough because we're sort of like, you know, I love the fact that a lot of people when we were talking about like the the non top two superheroes the other week. And we're like, oh, I don't know. People afterwards in the comments were like, what about Astro City, you turds? And uh, Astro, we're really so, bad. Astro City is a DC book. I hate to tell you. Really? It's published wow. by DC. That doesn't matter. It was Wildstorm. It's, it's okay. never crossed over with any of the Superman character, well, superhero that's characters. True. Sure, but still. So, you know what I mean? I, but, I, I, but to me, that's, you know, it's interesting um, there was this whole long article in the New Yorker, which I'll have to discuss with you next time that Edie brought to my attention, where she talked about uh, the, I think it's called the Innovators Paradox. And it's an amazing thing about um, uh, like steel production is what this one economist was talking about. But it is unbelievably fascinating when applied to comic books. So we'll have to talk about it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to look that up and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm go- okay. I'm going to have a really weird pick for classic creator jerry okay. conway interesting interesting jerry conway is such a, a figure that i have problems with because i had read some of his batman stuff that had been collected admittedly sort of weirdly asynchronously in that that odd dc gene colon batman every other issue collection you know that, yeah, that yeah, exactly about. so both it's like tales of the batman random artist edition <laughs> Uh, one of the things that that uh, kills me is I am firmly con- like Jerry Conway is responsible for what I think is 
like hands down to me the most amazing, fascinating Spider-Man arc uh, of, of all time, which is, of course, you know, that starts with the you know death of Gwen Stacy and runs right through to when he leaves the book at issue 150, um, uh, like stuff that just amazing, uh, and manages to invent what is you know what I thought was the only Marvel character that only I could love, the Punisher, um, and yet I have to say. I, I almost want to quibble with you because I feel like apart from that one thing where it's like he almost was doing stuff because he didn't know that he couldn't do it. After that, it's kind of a lot of disappointing secondhand blah, blah, blah. For me. I, I think he has a I think he had a really fascinating career because you'd mm, see him do true. things like Firestorm. You'd see him do things like Justice League Destroyed. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was he wasn't an innovator, mm-hmm. but he was always like an this again sounds like a terrible backhanded compliment and isn't meant as one he was right. always amongst the first to try and jump on a bandwagon <laughs> yo he was which, which, I, think which I think actually I think is actually is a plus really, of comics yes mm-hmm. and I also think mm-hmm. it's a really interesting place to be in because you've yeah. not you don't have the formula mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. you're like what makes that work and you're trying to right. work out the formula in public right and so you get lots of things I, I think Conway has an amazing ratio of misses to hits mm-hmm. but I think it's because he was continually trying to be like how does that guy you like why is the Teen Titans successful can I do that with Justice League right and it's, right, right, right. or you know why Why does Firestorm why does Spider-Man work can I do that with Firestorm and right. he does what, if, these what happens if I invert it you know yeah and, and he does these of, things yeah. that are fascinating but not necessarily right. good no, not necessarily. Well, here's the thing that I think is fascinating. I, I agree with you. In fact, I think Conway, in some ways, is kind of an amazing idea, man. Um, I'm just never a fan of his execution. Like, I remember reading his, some of his Marvel team-up stuff, and I, I'll never forget. It was like the issue where it's like Spider-Man and Frankenstein meet the man-wolf in Bavaria, and the first issue is all set up, and you're just like, where is this going? And the second issue, he so clearly gives up on it and just is like, hey, guess who got high and saw young Frankenstein? You know, and it's you're just like, <laughs> really? Fuck that's you. You know, I'm, like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I don't know. I just I think that all of Ken Conway's peers have been, mm-hmm. quote unquote, rediscovered and reevaluated. And Conway hasn't. And I really think he's due. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so he's he's my forgotten uh, classic creator. Interesting. My um, fa- forgotten classic creator that that I think uh, would have carried a lot more weight just two years ago because I, I think he got a, a certain amount of attention and reevaluation is uh, with the with the Black Panther um, masterworks is Don McGregor. Uh, Don McGregor is like the dude that like he was <laughs> my eight year old self's first and probably most successful incarnation of Alan Moore, you know, the purple writer who's a thousand and ten percent committed to trying to do something different uh, and just ambitious as all hell. Uh, I, I, I still think that there's stuff that he's he did that, you know, in Jungle Action, but also uh, in Kill Raven, you know, he got a lot of attention then. He seems very forgotten now. Uh, and uh, I dig him. Skull the Slayer, which everyone hears me talk about, I am still, to me, convinced. Like, 
it's it's kind of a shame. Ever since the crap out that was Will Ferrell's Land of the Lost movie, I don't think I could ever sell anyone on the Skull the Slayer that I see in my head. But it is the perfect comic about the 70s because it's got dinosaurs and aliens and the Bermuda Triangle and headbands and wristbands. And Did you know really the Skull Slayer like, came one. back a couple of years ago? Yeah, I know everyone, everyone has. And in fact, thanks to this podcast, I think, and me talking about it. No, no, no. Maybe it was my Savage Critic on a Monopia stuff. A lot of people have kept... He came back as the Flaming Skull and a variety of other stuff, which no, I was No, but he, like, oh. he was back as Skull the Slayer in... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Victor uh, uh, X-Men. Yes, and I wanted to go and punch that guy in the cock because he was totally like, Skull the Slayer! Uh, here's what awesome about him. Um, and also, still thinking about it, also, you know. He was in a flashback of one issue of Warren Ellis' New Universal. Is he? Yeah, see, because, you know, it's interesting. I was, I ended up talking briefly uh, the, the year that I was at uh, San Diego Comic-Con or one of the years, I ended up being able to unintentionally stalk Adam Warren no less than three times. And at one point I was walking across the convention floor with him and God bless him, Adam Warren, who probably wanted to look at all the lunatics on the convention floor was kind enough to actually talk with me about stuff. And one of the things I asked him was like, is there any work for hire that you'd ever consider work for hire characters that you consider? He's like, ah, and he was like, although, you know, there's that one character skull, the slayer. And I'm like, Oh my God, like Adam Warren doing skull, the slayer. I did. I, I plotsed as uh, Darth Vader would say. And, uh, I, so, uh, yeah, so he's come back. When they brought him back in X-Men, I picked it up. And not only was it bad enough that you had X-Men and Fantastic Four, um, but he was very – Gishler had kind of this conception of Skull the Slayer, which I see where he got, which was kind of like, oh, he's like an Edgar Rice Burroughs character, um, and he's not. I don't know how to describe it better than that. Like, Skull the Slayer is – one of those dudes that if you get him in the in the right hands, he is pretty much the perfect distillation of pulp character formula um, in that he is really all about in some weird way the, the pulp character. And God knows if there's a my least favorite Engelhart run is the one issue, two issues on Skull the Slayer where he tried to reboot the character by essentially shitting on the whole concept and then leaving. Like, ah, forget <laughs> this, I'm out of here. And I was like, fuck you, Steve Englehart. Like, I'm still so pissed at the way he did it where he's like, oh yeah, all these guys, eh, robots. Person you're having sex with, robot. The only guy who's still alive is real in this. Uh, maybe Skull the Slayer. All right, I'm out of here. You know, that, and that, it really was like, just... Um... When they did on, in the new universe, or like nine mm-hmm. issues in, they were like, "This justice character isn't working out." I know. Well, it's basically that he had a psychotic break and he dreamt everything else. Yes, I mean, it just really <laughs> is that weird thing of like, don't don't shit on the high concept. And it's one of the reasons why I love Bill Matlow is he came in and tried to fix it and reboot it, and then of course just in time to get the book canceled. But in the course of doing so, um, you know, I think the reason why I'm obsessed with Skull the Slayer is. He is more than Gishler even, in, I think, had any concept of uh, kind of this weird mise on the beam. You know, he's like it, it, it's like a very recursive concept is is now because of the Mantlo thing baked into it where it's about mirrors within mirrors within mirrors within mirrors. And you could do a lot to talk about superheroes in a way that isn't just your standard, um, you know, superheroes. They live too long. 
Signed, Alan Moore. So uh, I'm done. In case okay, you uh, do we have any forgotten question. classic series or storylines that we think need to be reevaluated? Man, I feel like to me, I'm like Skull the Slayer, baby. <laughs> Graham, um, I don't know. I'm going to punt on that one because I can't think of anything right now, and I'm sure that you know, as soon as we start recording, I'll be like, oh, blah. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm also right a now. huge fan of Doug, Doug Menick and Rich Buckler's Deathlock, despite the fact that it is not good uh, at all. There's, um, well, not at all. There's parts of it that are brilliant and, of course, hugely Starenko influenced, but um, it's not technically good, but it is, there's stuff there that's fantastic and is. It's not technically is, good, but it's actually good. Well, I don't know how to describe it. Like, there's innovative sequences that are in it. There's a whole bunch of things that you want to do. But it's almost like the first image comic, you know, in that Buckler is drawing it, created it, and plotted it, and then gave it to Doug Monick to script. And so you've got all this stuff going on, and yet somehow nothing manages to happen. Like, Mm. even five issues in, you get the sense that Deathlock has basically just walked around a demolished New York city block five times and fought different people and had different flashbacks, but done essentially the same thing over and over and over again. It's kind of like if RoboCop was like an eight hour Andy Warhol movie, you know, it's just not, which would be awesome. Would be awesome. <laughs> Andy Warhol I mean, really, you might just have blown my mind with how great that was. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, that's that would also be my. There's I, if you get me started on the '70s, I can dig up all sorts of things that I think are awesome that I feel are overlooked. But he also that's asks what old old people are for. <laughs> he also asks what favorite personal guilty pleasure comic series and why, past or present. You can say Scott Slayer <laughs> again. It's fine. I might. <laughs> In fact, let's just because I've already chattered too much. Let's say yes. Although I have a few others. You grab. Oh God, I've got so many. Um. Mm-hmm. Engelhart's entire career post DC in the eighties. Wait, I'm sorry, Grant. Uh, his uh, Engelhart's his which what entire career? Oh, entire career. DC in the eighties. Okay. Um, I swear to God, I thought that there was a there, there was a character called Night Rear because of the way the volume <laughs> gave out, and I was like, whoa. Engelhart's Night Rear is fucking spectacular. Jeff. It is, isn't it? Um, guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures. Yeah, I'm Brian gonna, I'm gonna say, for me? yeah, I'm going to say great. stuff like like the stuff I grew up with in the late stuff, the early DC stuff I found. Um, mm-hmm. So like Ostrander's Firestorm, mm-hmm. uh, especially before Tom Mandrake came on and actually got a purpose. There's like maybe 30 issues of him being like, I don't know what's happening. Let's meld him with a Russian. That might work. Um, <laughs> yeah, things like that. Things, basically, my guilty pleasures past are mostly things I read as a kid that I know aren't good, but I have incredible affection for. Millennium is definitely a massive guilty pleasure. Oh, yeah. Because Millennium is terrible. And yet (laughs) I I adore it. I can't tell you how much I adore it. Um, Yeah. Oh, God. I'm trying to think of a current guilty pleasure. When Dungeons and Dragons was running, that was totally a guilty pleasure. Oh, interesting. See, to me, I, I actually have gotten to the stage where I'm old where you're just like uh, there's pleasures if you like them you like them actually i, I was going to say it's sort of the opposite where i'm like i'm actually can feel more guilty about a guilty pleasure <laughs> like, really thanks to yeah thanks to the miracle of jeff now apparently <laughs> reading any of kirby's marvel work now counts as a guilty pleasure 
you know? Uh, um, let's see. Marvel 2-in-1. I got an essential Marvel 2-in-1 the other week. That's, oh, that's yeah. a because that's atrocious. That's you know, just such a fucking horrible book. That the in case you because I, I don't think I had a chance to explain it to you, but the excerpt that I I submitted last night for the Parsec Awards uh, uh-huh. are uh, is ten minutes. Well, with the thirty second intro, um, I should post it as a thing. It's from Wait What uh, episode eighty four, I think, which is it, it's uh, six minutes of us where we where we're answering questions from readers ironically enough uh it's at the beginning of this sequence i think um where someone asked us to recommend uh our our uh showcases and oh, marvel yeah. essentials yeah so it's funny ironically enough you're talking about marvel two and one there so I, i've got six minutes of us talking about that and then the the three minutes of of the marvel bullpens hunger games so because it seemed to be a favorite so we'll see how <laughs> things go but let's uh, be win um, but I'm it's funny. Quit. I wouldn't have thought of it as a guilty pleasure, considering you know how quick we were to be like, "That's great." You know, it's like it I is sort of also feel terrible. Like... Do you know what I mean? Is it okay? Yeah, yeah I can see that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> C. Conlon then asks: Should the monthly twenty-pager divide itself into two stories or chapters to allow for a more realistic goal for the artists? Jeff. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking of this because I read the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight issue two that came out digitally uh, this week, as well oh, as issue one. Who was that? Week. Issue one was um, Jeff Lemire and Damon Lindelof, right? Exactly. Second issue was J.G. Jones and a guy whose name is Jonathan something, you know, uh, that I should probably know. I will vamp. But it's Batman versus Amazo. It is super, Batman super. Batman Amazo, really? Y- yeah, yeah. Batman versus Amazo on the satellite. It's um, the the Justice League satellite, not MST3K satellite of love, mind you. Although that would be a phenomenal crossover. Uh, it's, um, okay, here we go. Get to it. Jeff, go. Issue two, open. First page. Uh, so as you know, those are broken up into, you know, they call them... Uh, 22 page stories but they are they're, they're designed the pages, to be read yeah. yeah and you you flip them on the side jonathan larson um who whose name does not ring a bell uh they're designed to be flipped on their side you know and read in landscape format on your ipad and probably other tablets or of course a computer screen so kind of like that it's said you know what Mm, I guess that's almost like the the, th- the throw bent format, you know, the idea yeah. that you can take this and you can stack the two pages and you get a regular comic size page. The thing that I was reading it and the story has some problems, like I said, in part because it 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 lifts heavily from Grant Morrison's uh, Batman White Martians issue. Uh, he has some clever twists on it, but it's that kind of thing of like, yeah. It, I have seen this like this. Is, that is not necessarily an obscure comic book that you happen to be taking inspiration <laughs> yeah. from. So, um, but there's also a thing that uh, because at least in this story, more than the story with Jeff Lemire, every every bit of action in it is horizontal. If you know what I mean, it basically reads from left to right, or if you're going to mix it up occasionally from right to left, but still within a horizontal axis. And so by about page four, when you get into it, it really suffers. Like it's some incredible laggy work by contrast, uh, 
The book that knocked me on my ass this week is Empowered Volume 7, which actually came out several weeks ago, but I didn't order, and then I was going to get digitally, and yada, 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 yada. Hopefully we can talk more at uh, more length about it next week because I think there's parts of it that are phenomenal and mind-blowing and interesting. But one of the things that I adored in it is Warren's action sequences in that have phenomenal amounts of punch. And part of the way it, that he accomplishes it is by stacking the action horizontally. So your eye's tendency to read from left to right has to get thwarted and it starts moving, you know, down to up and it dynamicizes the tension in it tremendously. So all of which is my long ass way of saying, and I don't think is actually the response to this question is I think that sadly what's going to have to happen is, is that people especially with this new digital format and going forward are going to have to figure out ways to work harder. And I don't know how they're going to do that and have it be a consistent project product. Um, but I'm almost thinking that they're, that the future of big two superhero comics are people where the majority of the work is being done with dynamic layouts and that's where all the work is and then just sort of the same way that we get computer colored finishing we're going to have almost computer generated art the end i hope that's not true i, I know and i think that would just be see Conlon's next question well mm -hmm. batman beyond pages are designed to be chopped in half for digital editions how long uh -huh. before this is adopted line wide according to you yes not long at all actually uh warren ellis had a post on his website recently mm -hmm. that, that said exactly the same thing uh and actually pretty much the same thing as you're saying right now which is also you know this is going to become the norm and this is also not necessarily good yeah yeah i think so that'll, it, it, that'll lead to a uniformity uh mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. not a good one well interestingly enough my my feeling is is that having read a lot of manga um a lot of manga is stacked up in three tiers like they do stuff to break it up within it and also i feel that warren in empowered volume seven also ends up working he, he works a he really does actually work the vertical a lot in a way that isn't um like it's it's i would arguably say that it's a a two-panel grid spread across a three-panel grid. If you get if you get what I'm saying with that, yeah. kind of. Um, he does that very consistently to to give his stuff a, a lot of breathing room as far as the pacing goes, while keeping uh, a sense of um, regularity to it. Uh, I I don't know. I'm I I feel like there are ways that you can do it, but as far as I can tell, it become to to make that format interesting it is going to require a lot more labor and so it's going to be interesting to see how people end up making that work um so i kind of hope that they don't on the other hand it was weird every time i have that that issue of batman the two that i've had and i turn it sideways and that cover goes you know landscape i'm like ah so there's possibilities for it i just think that it's going to start being we're going to end up with like weirdly super busy pages that may or may not look that great when they're collected in order to keep from being becoming a monochromatic mush i think last question jeff Lester. i love the fact that i don't know if it's going to come up in the recording but i actually heard birds tweeting in the background <laughs> 
Which was either cartoon character, you know, like little things flying around your head, or alternately just the cloud cuckoo land from which I Oh, I, I kind of was there to be tumbleweed, but that didn't happen. That <laughs> I live in Portland. Last question. And really, yes. honestly, last question this time. Mm-hmm. Which is good, because we're almost done as well. Yes. It's almost yeah, two hours. Sure. Stephen Williamson asks, maybe a long-form critique of Matt Fraction's Iron Man sometime? I think, considering Jeff hasn't read and I've, will not will not read much of Fraction's Iron Man anytime soon, there might be a problem with that. Yeah, I only read the first, I want to say, 20 issues of that, or whatever that big... I think that's right. That big-ass hardcover was maybe the first 20 issues of his Iron Man, and I read issue... 500 and 500.1. So yeah, I'm a horrible, I'm a horrible judge of that. And yeah, it's never really going to happen. Did you, but you haven't followed it either, right? Did did you? I dropped you, off after, oh God, I probably dropped off just before Fear Itself, if I think about like, because I ended up reading the collection from the library because hello, it's me. Um, right. But I have to say like, in terms of interest, I probably dropped off long before that. I I thought that the book had a really strong through line right up until Stark got rebooted. And mm-hmm. then it honestly felt like Fraction was like, okay, now I've got to play for time before I do this Mandarin shit. Right. Like, it, the, for me, the, the tension, the, the, the momentum of the book mm-hmm. really horrifically dropped off uh, as soon as uh, uh, Tony Stark got rebooted. Um, did you? Sorry, what did, did... Was Oh, I was going to say, did we ever find out why the controller was in that one Stark office? And I don't think so. Just about killed Maria Hill. Just that cause... Was. No, I, yeah. was it, no, but was it not some sort of really lazy Norman Osborn center there? Uh, was, was it, I, I'm fairly sure there might have been some sort of like, it was a trap. I maybe I don't maybe it was maybe it was that time where Osborne was a step ahead. I don't think so though. It really fell out of the blue. Maybe it did get uh, described. It's a shame because actually, like you said, what, I felt like when Fraction was working off of using Brew Baker's Captain America template, I guess. Uh, yeah, for which his is what you did for the for the opening like twenty issues. So I thought it yeah, was twenty issues. Yeah, it worked really really well. Uh, and then after that, it seemed to drop off really dramatically. It's a shame because I Fraction's Maria Hill character was um, really interesting, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Like she was a character that I was incredibly sympathetic for and rooted for. And then that just kind of seemed to get, you know, thrown under the bus. But may- maybe just me. Ultimately, I just couldn't couldn't pursue it. So, yeah, I guess we're not really... Unfortunately, it's hard to find two people worse equipped to talk well, about Iron Man. I have to say, like, when it finishes, because it's he's in his last arc now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or at least the rumor is. Um, I'd be really curious to, like, read it all as a wonder. Sure. And you would have to then tell me about it. <laughs> yes, I'd be like, Jeff, this is what happened. Um, right. No, because... And this is, again, me totally reading into things. But I feel mm-hmm. like it completely fell off around the same time that Fraction started doing Thor. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if like it really was just a case of overwork. <laughs> could be. Could be. I mean, I'm fascinated by the rumors that uh, that whatever, that Fraction and Salvador La Roca are going on to their next project together, considering Fraction has been... 
pretty it's pretty easy to read the li- between the lines and say that he's frustrated with a lot of stuff that LaRocca does. But what I'm I was the whole so the creative teams are moving like as a whole to books. Uh-huh. I'm so conflicted about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, I'm like, well, you know, when a team clicks, it's great seeing them do new projects together. Right. But on the other hand, it kills my interest in almost all of those books. Right. Because in because a way, I'm you're like, sort of I've, like, well, I've, I've seen this. Yeah, I've, I've mm-hmm. seen what, you've, what you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And with the exception of uh, Remender and Apena on Avengers. Right. I'm not interested in any of it. Like, Fraction, I, I pretty much feel that if someone could do a convincing LaRocca impression, that I could fake the first Fraction issue of Fantastic Four. Do you know I what I mean? Like, think you, yeah. I, I feel I like could... we, we've seen enough of his, of what he does. Oh, I think... And I, and, and I say that as someone who recently caught up on Defenders. Uh-huh. Um, Which And what did you think? It gets substantially better as soon as he goes into the single issue stuff, but it also mm. entirely depends on which character he's writing. I thought that his Namor issue was horrifically dull. Mm. Uh, I liked his Doctor Strange issue. Interesting. And I can't remember who the other one was. Is it Dan? It is. It's 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 um, Iron Fist was, to be honest, a real letdown. Interesting. But, but nonetheless. All three of those issues were much better than the opening arc. Yeah, but see, this is it to me. I'm I'm kind of like, I don't know. I feel that Fraction is... I don't know. I just... I don't... I think that that guy may not be the person that they groomed him to be. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, and I and I don't think there's any shame in that. Pers- I I really honestly don't. But I think I that, think from a sales perspective, he's definitely not. And he's I, not. I, yeah. Like, because mm-hmm. you just have to look at where his books are. These and I mm-hmm. honestly think at some point they were like, I think with Iron, I think with Iron Man, they're like, holy shit, we found this guy who's Bendis and Miller combined. This is awesome. Right. And then you right. look at the sales chart, and you're like, maybe he is, but his sales aren't anywhere close to that. No, no, he's and also, really not. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that's where his heart lies. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to write something else. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, maybe could be. I, I I certainly get that sense. I don't know. I just think that I think that there's that thing of everyone, including him, is very f- intent on convincing us that it that he is a certain thing, and I just do not necessarily believe. That, that the audience is especially convinced anyway. And, I, and I'm and i fascinated by that prospect because in a way I'm sort of like, it might be better off because at that stage, it sort of does become this weird monetary investment on everyone's part, you know, from fraction on up through editorial of like, well, why, like, why would him be moving to Fantastic Four really seem to be a big thing? If he has, if he can't really seem to move that dial in any appreciable way. Yeah, know? but think about it. Fantastic Four is always the book the dial hasn't really been moved. They are pretty much, if if he's going there, they're putting him in a book that isn't a massive franchise. Do you know what I mean? Like they're putting him somewhere where he can't really do that much harm because the worst he can do is tank one book sales. Well, but this is right. Put him in charge of Avengers and you can right. kill a franchise. 
True. No, 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 no. I agree. I think that is probably the safest thing. But it, it's fascinating to me because I do think that um, despite my various meh, 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 I think that, you know, although not for me, I think there's a very good case to be made for the idea that, that Jonathan Hickman sat down and what he did and Fantastic Four, even if it was copied straight from the playbook, seemed to have demonstrated demonstrable results. Now, admittedly, Fraction, I think, had that same thing on Iron Man, but has never really, as far as I can tell, seemed to have replicated that in any way, shape, or form, sales-wise, with any of the other Marvel titles. Oh, but also, you know? he has, he's not there in Iron Man anymore, either. Right. Right. Like, at no, some point, and I don't know when that point was, mm-hmm. at some point, it, I think that the Iron Man readership were like, huh, okay, we're done. Yeah, and it went much. back down to quote unquote Iron Man numbers. Right. But I mean, you right. then look at like where Thor is, because Thor mm-hmm. was selling under uh, yeah. JMS and was selling under Kieran Gillen. Yes. And now it's not. I mean, it's yeah. it's still not, you know, a ter- in a terrible place, but it's lower than it was. And mm-hmm. you have to kind of think, huh, Marvel are like. Uh, you know, this guy's an, an architect. This guy's, you know, he's got the the event book. He's he's mm-hmm. he's our guy. And then Thor flops, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do have to think that's the point where they're like, we've built this guy up. We can't not support him anymore, but right. we can do damage limitation. Yeah, and and so it's like putting him on the Fantastic Four. Interesting, yeah, because that and is damage are... limitation. It's got the prestige. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's got it's historical... got, it seems like a prestige, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but it can't do anything. It's not, because you mm-hmm. kill Fantastic Four, you kill one book, or two if mm-hmm. you keep it F going. Well, this is the thing that's amazing, is, is just the fact that, uh, I mean, I do again, I give Hickman some, some cred. Like, the FF sales are pretty, consi- way more consistent than I would have expected if you told me that you could have done a second title. Yeah, if if you said you can do a second title for Fantastic Four and its sales will essentially be the same as the first, mm-hmm. I would not have believed you. Like yeah, that is exactly. that is an amazing, amazing feat. That is that is that is no small accomplishment. It really isn't. So um, so yeah, we'll see. But I mean, but that, that that's still a far way, far cry from like you said, having him take over the Avengers. Or you know, it's a shame because I definitely think that. Uh, Fraction had the possibility, I think, for I would have said, like, out of the characters that I thought he could have been tremendous on, I would have thought Spider-Man. And I'm kind of fascinated that it continues to not be in the cards, you know? Well, I think that's because Dan Slott's on Spider-Man. Yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? Like, I think Dan Slott has just, that's his book. That's his place. And to Mm -hmm. be fair, if I was in charge of Marvel, I wouldn't take Dan Slott off Spider-Man. No, but would you put Fraction on, say, Avenging Spider-Man? If I was in charge of Marvel, I'd kill Avenging Spider-Man. Hmm. Interesting. I I, I think any purpose for Avenging Spider-Man other than let's have another Spider-Man title um, is gone. Zeb Wells yeah. is apparently officially off the book. Mm-hmm. Joe Madeira bailed after three issues. Phew. Like, there's... <laughs> You, there's no reason for that to exist other than to have an extra Spider-Man book. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It should go away. I definitely agree with you. Or to me, the thing is, is turn it into 
turn turn it into the opportunity turn it into another uh, a, a potential you know that thing that they were saying when they were flapping their lips about it you know another a-list spider-man title you know but uh but yeah i i agree that sure it's- but then you run into the problem like what do you do with amazing spider-man you know what i mean by saying here's another a-list spider-man title Mm-hmm. What do you do with the A-list Spider-Man title? Are you saying this is not the B-list Spider-Man title? Are you saying both Spider-Man titles have equal rights to make the important continuity changes? It could become really problematic. Well, sure. But, I mean, it was pretty problematic when they introduced Avenging Spider-Man and tried to sell it that way. And part of the way I felt they were trying to sell it as, and admittedly, this, you know, a lot of people weren't convinced was the idea of like, Hey, here's another Spider-Man title done by prestige creators. That isn't necessarily, um, the main pivot book, but for people who enjoy reading Spider-Man who don't, who aren't necessarily people who are interested in reading the pivot book, you know, I think, I don't know. Is that how they present it? I thought they present as it's Spider-Man team up with the Avengers. Right. Plus Luke, Joe Madeira is drawing. It's pretty right. Right, so I feel like... And Sam Wells is writing it, he won't embarrass us. Would right. be how I would characterize the, the publicity for it. Yeah, well, you know, all I, all I can say is, like, they should... <laughs> I don't know. Part of me is like, Fraction, Spider-Man. I think it's everyone's I, I think Fraction last and Spider-Man, Yeah, I think Fraction and Spider-Man would be really good. But Spider-Man is not available. And so oh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's the problem. I, I, right. And I think here's... I think that Fraction... Because didn't he write that spectacular Spider-Man annual that was great? Like, I should, mm-hmm. and he's had Spider-Man show up in, Sp- in Iron Man. Right. He clearly enjoys the character. Yeah, he enjoys the character, and I say sort of deeply gets it. Like, there is, to me, there is a lot. Fraction is closer, I would say, to... to to the Spider-Man Peter Parker concept, you know, it's it's very much in his sandbox, I think, and I think it would be really easy for him to 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 run with it. And I totally I do think like Dan Slot's moving the numbers. God knows you don't get anyone who's been more loyal to a a, a book and an editorship and everything than slot. So yeah, I think it's great that that's still paying off for him. I'm just there. And you know, who knows fractions, not necessarily going anywhere. I think at this rate, God help him. So, uh, yeah, you know, maybe he'll have a shot, but there is part of me that I'm like, (laughs) kind of like before it's too late. Well, people still think that he can do something, you know, or, you know, cause I'm not sure maybe that point's already gone. I worry that that point's gone. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I worry that fear itself was that point. I agree. And I think at the end of fear itself, people were like, you see those numbers for defenders and defend. And that is to me, that's an audience that never showed, you know, or an audience that showed for that first issue and went, yeah, you know what? Right. Okay. Uh, just double yeah, checking I, here. I, yeah. Uh-huh. I think, I think fear itself was when the mass audience were like, yeah, this guy's not for us, mm-hmm. but, in trying to appeal to the mass audience, he re- fraction removed so much of what appealed to the niche audience that he mm-hmm. was he was no man's land writer. Yeah, I think so. I kind of feel like he's very much that way. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, I do not get the sense that. Although I think there were guys there, there were guys who 
if they didn't jump off in, during Fear Itself, I think they may have very well, they may have been a little ahead of the curve and jumped off during Iron Man. Because I definitely remember seeing critics who were still reading Casanova who were taking the time to say, hey, Stark Resilient is terrible. And then, and then that was it. They just haven't talked about him since, really. So it's, I mean, it's kind of sad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I remember Fraction going to Marvel. Mm-hmm. And everyone kind of been like, this guy's done the work. Do you know what I mean? He's awesome. Akasun right. was really good. He's bringing mm-hmm. this indie sensibility. And then, it, I mean, the order was not spectacular, but Iron mm-hmm. Fist was great. Iron Man was great. And you're like, holy shit, he's actually doing it. Yeah. And then yeah. cuts to five years later. Mm-hmm. And we're completely straight faced with no malice going i wonder if fraction's moment has passed yeah yeah i think so you know that's uh, really sad yeah well i guess you don't think so I've, i I, I, find, I find that really sad i find that i i feel that he's gone from the next great hope to a has-been without actually getting the moment of being the guy but well okay there's a couple of different things going on one would say it's not like for a lack of shots at the Oh yeah, shots. I think everyone wanted him to be the guy and gave him as many opportunities as they could. Yes, and I think that's the case from editorial, I think that's the case from the readership, believe it or not, you know, even you know, the snarkarati. I honestly believe that he got all those shots. Also, it's not like the guy was doing it for free, you know? And I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of bitchy way, but I do think it's one thing. You know what I mean? It's one thing. No, I totally don't. Got... I'm more laughing because she said I don't mean it in any sort of bitchy way because the way it came across was basically <laughs> <laughs> bitchy. Well, uh, yeah, I guess it is kind of bitchy. I mean, like your actual tone of voice. Yeah. If you go back well. and listen to yourself say that, <laughs> doing the snapping thing with your hands as you're saying it. <laughs> oh man okay my microphone is acting weird uh yes i i admit it you're right uh so let me see if i can figure out a way to say it without sounding bitchy without actually sounding bitchy uh um, no, i totally i totally get what no you're i know what you mean yeah mm-hmm. i totally get so, what you're saying but i i don't know i just and i don't it's not like you'd be like well he was robbed of his chance because he totally wasn't and you can't say the odds were stacked against him because I swear to God, I don't think any writer has gone into Marvel with more goodwill from the Snarkarati, as you put it, than Fraction. Yeah. I think Fraction went in there with everyone willing him to succeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so too. And, but something happened and the goodwill mm-hmm. got pissed away and the numbers never appeared and there's still something sad about that to me. I don't know why. I do not know why. But I kind of feel that there's there's a sadness to that whole arc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially because, and I was actually making this, this the opposite argument of this to my time editor the other day. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really a second chance in comics anymore. I think in well, that, pop culture, that I think you get sad. a second act. And I don't think right. in comics you do anymore. I think you get your one chance at the ring, and then if you don't get it, you're permanently resigned to going lower and lower and lower in the, the food chain. Um, unless you're, unless you stay tremendously tight friends with uh, what's his name, 
who heads up DC now. You know, unless you're Scott Lobdell. Yeah, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, let's be honest, Scott Lobdell is not getting... Scott Lobdell is getting work. Scott Lobdell is not getting the big books. Mm, Okay. I mean, if you say so, oh yeah. Dude, I hate to say it, but just about all of those new 52 books, technically, considering the number of people who are pitching it for it and the number of people in the industry at the time, A, all of those 52 were considered big books. B, like if you have it cut into like three or four strata, I feel Lobdell went successfully into the second, like got a chance at the second strata strata of it and was actually successful enough that he's still continuing to, to move around in that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's probably fair. So, but, but I do, I don't know. I think to me, this, the, the sense that there is a problem, I suppose, you know, the part that may or may not be sad is the idea that the marketplace is not a marketplace is a marketplace that will support Iron Man monthly, even if you've got someone slowly wearing out their welcome on it, and is not a place that could support Casanova monthly, even when there is a person who is doing some potentially dazzling work on it. You know? And I, I, I think I think that's about as as sad as I can get. But I do have that feeling, you know, when Quentin Tarantino uh, went from Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown and Jackie Brown was a disappointment. Tarantino disappeared for a long time and then did a variety of other things like weirdo things and then came back with Kill Bill and pretty much renounced Jackie Brown. For better or for worse, you can lay out a bunch of different arguments, I think. Um, but one thing that he didn't do was he didn't do, you know, Jackie Brown 2 and Jackie Brown 3 and Jackie Brown 4. Um, so, but wait, what are you saying? Are you saying that you think the Fraction should do that? Or you think the Fraction has pissed away the, the goodwill by doing Jackie Brown 2, 3, and 4? Essentially, yeah. By continuing to do work where people are like, hey, this is unexciting, and Fraction to himself may or may not be going, yeah, this is unexciting, but, you know, A, I'll get the hang of it, or B, it pays the bills, or a combination of A and B. You know, see that, that I, that's where I come back to my my thing from last week, where the it pays the bills thing is is important. <laughs> it it abs- well, but it is, but it can have a deleterious effect on your art, and if you choose, sure, it, de- it definitely can. But sometimes you don't necessarily have the choice to go away and come back with your masterpiece. Is my no agreed. Absolutely. Sometimes Absolutely. you have to feed your kid. Yeah. No, I'm I'm well aware of it. I'm well, well aware of it. And I agree with you. And that, that may be the part that is sad. Like I said, that's the closest that I got to being sad in that he couldn't feed his kid with just Casanova. But mm, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it is it's it's a it's a tough No, I, I get it. You're a hater. That's okay. Thank God um, you, you were able to all, summarize that. All I'm going yes. to say is this. That like last 20 minutes or so of us talking about Matt Fraction, that's yes. the stuff that's going to get you emails, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's probably true. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And no, 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 it will. That's going to get you emails. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Uh, hopefully for those people listening in, um, it can get – it will – 
this is different from earlier and uh, more typical uh, fraction mind reading and or pseudo stocking than we've done in the past. Well, I, I was, I was really trying not to do that kind of mind reading. Oh, I think you I think you did a fantastic job, in fact, of avoiding that. I think I'm much I think I, I moved much closer into the territory than than you did. Um, I don't know. I, I, but yes, in in the sense that we had from the various feedback that we have gotten in the past, it would not surprise me if I will get some feedback. And frankly, I think your position is not only well measured and well reasoned, but I think is going to be. Um, I can see where my position is going to be a little controversial for various people for various reasons, or alternately, they're just not going to listen. So I do think it's fascinating. Like, for example, well, no, I won't, I won't talk about that. No, no, go, um, go, go. Well, I was going to say, like, you were sort of like, man, Brandon Graham, like I'm, he's finally talking to, to me on Twitter and it's basically, you know, it's kind of, it's over this. And uh, I was like, dude, at least you got noticed. Like, I'm like, kind of like, Where's where's my contempt and scorn, Brandon Graham? I you, I'm a big target, but you don't want it, Jeff. I know. I just want the attention after a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that in an attention hoary point, but I mean I'm I, like I, I, no, I really I'm not, I really, I, I'm like I, really I was joking. part of that I, podcast. I, I really hope. Yeah, but I was the one. I was the one on the opponent, op, the opposite side. Well, sure. Sure, and I understand that, and it would be it would be awesome. It, believe me, if he'd said, you know, just listen to the latest Savage Critics podcast with Graham M and Lazy Bastard, and I want to say Graham M, blah 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 blah, but instead it was like, I was like, damn it, man, I'm in this podcast too, you know. But I, you know, I might be the lukewarm water that is being spat out, as uh, Luke Skywalker talked about, or something. Wait, what? <laughs> I think that's the first time I've ever actually said the name of the podcast, this podcast. What are you actually talking about, though? Isn't it St. Luke who had that statement about, like, be you hot or be thou cold, um, but if you are lukewarm in my mouth, I will spit you out? Who says that exactly? Well, you know, I'm like, it's St. Luke, isn't it? But I'm like, no, maybe it's because of the use of the phrase lukewarm. So I was joking with the Luke Skywalker thing. See, that was St. Augustine. I, I think have, it's St. Augustine. I have no idea. I, I honestly do not know what you're talking about. But that's Really? You've I'm, never heard that quote? I don't think I've ever heard that quote, now. Wow. All right. Well, unfortunately, I, I, I can't the, remember. Let, let's just accept it. <laughs> Anywho, all of which Except is to say, move on. Graham, you're wonderful. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And I am terrible. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. What? No, no, no. Wait, how did that, well, how did this get? How did this end up here? Um, <laughs> no, all I'm all I was saying was, I feel that we, I feel that what we were talking about was worthwhile. But I also mm-hmm. think what we were talking about is the sort of thing that will get you emails about. Don't mind reading. Don't judge. Yes, agreed. And I'm resigned to that, I guess, because I, uh, having received those emails and I understand them and, you know, people who may are about to be at home, I understand, but I still think it is an unfortunate necessity of what we do. I've tried to minimize it and, or, uh, at least minimize my moral outrage about it. I still, however, think that it is, it is something to be measured, considered, 
and 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 sort of impossible not to uh, imagine and or uh, ascribe. So, so there you have it. Oh, fun. And yes, it was really. I don't know. I like I said to you, I felt like Pete Parker. I felt like this guy who I've loved for years finally mm. actually notices my existence, and it's to just tell me that I'm a dick. Oh no. Yeah. Well, but like I said, man, every issue of Marvel Team Up, the the heroes fight on the rooftop. So all you have to do is have you know Dan DiDio dressed in Anger the Screamer outfit come in and start yelling at you guys and then you team up and you kick ass and then it's awesome <laughs> although at the I'm end sorry. then you guys actually are. yes i was gonna say that then i also have to think about time to deal in an anger the screamer outfit it is awesome thanks that is for putting awesome. that in my brain <laughs> <laughs> if jed winnick and the go-go boots and the hot pants wasn't going to do it oh god i'd managed to forget about that <laughs> We should I shut think, up now, shouldn't we? we yeah, I think that is totally we should, yes. Because uh, we're well over the two hours, so we should jump. Um, so, uh, everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in with the uh, postscript to the question thread that would not die. It is now It is now done. It is really now yeah, done. Yeah, it's totally done. Anyone who's like, no, you forgot these other questions. No, no. <laughs> Even if we did, no, I don't believe it. Even <laughs> if it's actually true, I'm refusing to believe you. We are done. We are finally done with these questions, okay? Yeah. We asked this in April. It's now the middle of June. We are done. <laughs> literally the last word (laughs) that is fabulous